0: Welcome to Setting It Straight. Uh, Today we have Aisha, the president of the DSU. Um, Tell us all about yourself. What year are you in? What are you studying? We know pretty much nothing.
1: Hello. Uh, So my name is Aisha. I'm in my fifth year of applied computer science with a minor in political science. And I'll be graduating this year. Oh,
0: congratulations. Yeah. How excited are you for that?
1: Very, very excited. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Um, so you, fi- fifth year, you almost graduated, uh, you any crazy plans after your graduation or have you been too busy <laughs> with the DSU?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm like, well, my sister's getting married in oh, wow. June, um, so planning her wedding, but beyond that, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Oh, like, that's fine. Completely. that's, that's
0: <laughs> probably, it. everyone's in the same boat yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Is, is it, uh, older sister, younger
1: sister? Older sister.
2: That's awesome. How much older? Yeah,
1: four years. Four is
2: years. she your only sibling?
1: No, I have four siblings in total. Oh, wow. Um, younger sister, who's also graduating this year for medical science. Wow. Uh, so that's going to be cute. And then my younger brother is in grade eight.
0: Oh, Whoa, that's an <laughs> age difference right there. there. That's crazy. Uh, were you guys always close as a family? Did you, like, were you, like, are your siblings? Because I'm family of four as well. Kids are, like, four, four kids, so... We sort of get in each other's throats really, really easily. Is it
1: the same with you guys? Yeah, you know, you have those, like, family dynamics where, like, some of you guys gang up on the other ones. (laughs) Um, But I think me and my little brother are probably, like, the closest. He's, like, the cutest little intersectional feminist. (laughs) Um, He understands, like racism and sexism and like the world. And so it's really fun talking about politics with him and like what's going on in the world today and getting his like perspective as like a 13 year old. And oftentimes I say he's like smarter than most university guys. Um, really understands right. like consent culture and like what it means to be a guy and what privilege looks like. So it's like super cool to like talk to a 13 year old boy and be like, if he can get it, <laughs> Everyone else. He
2: doesn't have to unlearn all this stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, it's, exactly. I think it's like growing up with sisters because I have That's two sisters actually, yeah.
0: and so do you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's so much harder to do the stuff that we talk about that happens on campus um, because you think like, man, I could be my sister. Like, you know what I mean? And that once you get, grow up with that mentality, it completely changes you because you understand um, what it's like more, yeah. you know? I feel like having sisters... Like so If you have a sister and you're still doing stuff to, like, being sexist, um, be, like, assaulting people, it's just, it, it's crazy. Like,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy no matter and, what. And, but yeah, yeah it's, you, it's, like,
0: it's like, how do you not, like, make the connection between that could be your sister imagine if that was happening to your sister? How would you feel?
1: Yeah, and I think, mm-hmm. like, women definitely have value outside of being related to you in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Um, but, yeah, I think having like strong role models that you grow up around. And so they're able to like be a living example of what like a person um, of that uh, gender is. So you see them existing as opposed to like just picking up things from media because I think media plays a huge role um, Mm. in shaping the context of what we think or what society thinks a woman is like. Um, And so often objectifying women in, like, movies and TVs and media um, plays that role into having where men think they have, like, power over.
2: Yeah. And also, uh, with growing up, you are so often clicked away into kind of gender groups. Uh, mm-hmm. And so being able to grow up with a sister is, uh, that, that's whenever you do most of your learning in those, like, pivotal years where you are most likely uh, away from all the rest of uh, the people that aren't your gender Uh so it's it's nice to have that kind of fundamental uh, learning uh, going into like high school and then uh, when you start kind of uh, socializing with everybody. Yeah. Do Ro- you find models and representation? Yeah, exactly. for sure. Do you
0: find you've sort of taken the role model position for your little brother?
2: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah
0: More than 100%. your sisters, or sort of like you guys all share the 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 responsibility.
1: Yeah, I think you know we're like three different individuals, so I'm sure he gets like different <laughs> things from all three of us. Um, but I'm always i really like like teaching i'm like really into like sharing knowledge as i like learn it and gain it so i'm always like talking to him about things i've just recently learned whether it's like in class or just like through lived experiences um whenever i'm able to pick up a hard idea and like understand it myself then i like make sure to go like explain it to him and be like what are your thoughts and often i learn as much from him as he learns from me um so yeah
0: that's cool that's cool that you're still learning from your 13 year old brother oh 100 that's that's true that's that's one thing that, um, that I, I I'm I don't take for granted is that that uh, the youthful, um, so the, the the ability to welcome new ideas constantly. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. one thing that I've definitely, in the past like few years, I've been like more like okay, this is how the world works, and I've lost that childish sort of uh, creativity yeah. and mm-hmm. that sort of like, you know what, the world is magical. The world is for the taking. For like, it's not I don't have to like work this certain like line that I'm on. Yeah. Um but yeah definitely like take the take a page of the, of a child's book and really um, explore it. Yeah, yeah
1: no. Kids are so great. I love <laughs> love kids of all ages and yeah.
0: Do you There's, work do you work with kids a lot? Or
1: I don't as much as I want to. Um and I think after the DSU, definitely getting more into hanging out with kids. I, like, go to everyone who has, like, kids now, and I'm like, let me know if you need a babysitter. I would love to babysit.
2: Uh, Pro bono. Yeah. yeah, yeah hey, you,
0: they true. might have to, something to do after you graduate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Teaching kids to code or something like that?
2: Yeah.
3: Maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: New program in Halifax coming near you.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Um, is this your uh, first DSU job or role?
1: No. Um, so I guess last year I was a night manager, so I was in the Mm. part-time staff for DSU. Um, and I've been involved in the DSU since my first year here at DAL, yeah. So I've done orientation week throughout from being like a first-year student to being an O-week leader for two years, then being on O-week committee and then being president. Um, I've sat on all the various different committees from Student Life Committee to help like plan different events. Um, to sitting at the table um, for a restorative justice um, review that the university did and was a representative for the DSU. Um, and then I was also part of various societies. I started my own society. I was the president of the Dalhousie Arts and Social Science Society. Uh, I started the Black Indigenous People of Color um, Caucus, by POCUS. Uh So yeah, I've like been part of student life the entire time I was here. I think extracurricular activities and just like being engaged in student life is such like a big meaningful part of the student experience here at Dow. Um And, you know, I spent my first... You're very like into academics, and I had like a 4.24 GPA. end wow. <laughs> in amazing. my first year. Um,
0: that's like the uh, usually the opposite comes true. The first year is usually the worst, <laughs> yeah. and then you build up.
1: <laughs> no, I was the opposite. So my first two years were like really good, and then I just like went downhill from there because I just that's got when you so got in involved. The DSU. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, yeah, I think like you learn so much in the classroom, but you also learn so much from your peers and so much from engaging um, with student life and. I think last year I was part of um, a group uh, students who ran Dal do better, where we asked Dalhousie to do better around their um, racist pr- interim president that they hired, and I think right, yeah. that like took up so much time and energy, but it was also so rewarding. Where we were in the media, we were like doing sit-ins and protests. Um, I was also part of the um, tuition increase um, that yeah, happened, the- and the students um, doing a sit-in in the president's office for like a week plus, and like. Being able to like engage actively and demand um, action for students in ways that students want to see these impacts was so cool. And then I guess like getting into the DSU presidency was just like the next step. The next there. logical step, yeah. yeah Do
0: know. you find that the position was <clears throat> helped you um, achieve those like those goals that you've been doing for the past three years? Like that did that was that like the that helped you achieve um, the like the support for students. Um, the activism and all that better or was it sort of deterring because of all like the politics and stuff
1: i think it was interesting like i i think definitely my passion is like working on the ground with students Mm -hmm. when i was doing like dal do better i was like right in the midst there with the students i was like Um, You know, talking to folks, getting their feedback, posting on social media, like engaging with students like right on the ground on a particular issue and like updating folks as things came out and like moving forward. Um, And my only mandate really was that like small interest group of folks who like were like, hey, this is an issue. And of course, understanding that it has broader impacts across um, Peter McKinnon was sexist, racist, um, homophobic, transphobic, um, didn't believe indigenous people had like any rights or value in academia and so it was like a very you know touches on many things but not a lot of people understand that when you have a president or when you have a figurehead um who holds these fundamental beliefs um that will trickle down into the way the institution um makes decisions and like politics is very very interesting in the way that like the people people matter so do the policies but so do like the people and so like playing those two sides was really interesting um, around tuition. Um, I was involved from when we started that around. We just started with, um, it was petitions. So folks were just like signing petitions saying, hey, like we don't believe tuition should go up. And then we were able to collect over a thousand petitions that we hand delivered um, to the vice provost at the time. Um, And then we staged a sit-in and were, you know, the two demands we were asking for was a new budget because the budget just increased tuition by over 44.4 percent for international students Mm -hmm. um, using them as cash cows to pay for the university when we know um, that you know the university talks about like we love our international students and they bring so much and we're able to like globalize the experience here um, and also recruits them actively um, but at the same time is using them to fund the institution when we know that you know or I believe personally the government should actually be paying for a lot more of education Um, and so those are kinds of, you know, situations that you find yourself in, and so I was able to just like actively be on the ground and support the students who is doing that, who were doing that work and taking it from just like petition collecting to okay, how do we actually get to the board of governors and engage with the people who are actually making these decisions? How do we make our voices most heard? How do we like amplify what we're saying? Um, and so that was a lot of like on the ground work, and so now the DSU is very much like you know, in the ivory tower, you're invited to all these um, different tables and, like, decision-making bodies, um, but you're just, you know, a student, so you're very, like, tokenized as, like, you know, you're the student voice. What do the students want to say? And when you give them the answer that they're not necessarily looking for, they're like, okay, thank you very much. We've consulted the students now. Go back to your oh. <laughs> go back to your place and we'll go back to ours. So,
2: so it's more bureaucratic and less actively. Is, yeah. it, is that disappointing for you, or...?
1: Um, I think it's, like, interesting to, like, learn the way institutions work. I think um, beforehand it was, like – being outside, being on the outside looking in, being like there's something fundamentally wrong with our education system. There's something fundamentally wrong with the fact that we are hiring and paying $30,000 a month for a racist to sit in this position and be like the figurehead of the university. There's something fundamentally wrong with charging international students um, so much money that they already pay in differential fees and then increasing that by 44.4% because the university can't figure out another way um, to create money. Um, while we're also paying our administration way, way too much money. Um, and so it's all often just, like, you know, knocking on the doors, being like, how is this a thing, A, and then how do we change it, B. And then being on the inside, it's like, oh, now I have, I can see the way the institution works. I see how decisions are made. And unfortunately, change is very, very, very slow in these institutions. Um, and where students, like, cycle in and out every four years, you know, five, if you're like me or <laughs> taking extra time, um, these institutions have existed for many, many years and will continue existing for many, many years. And so they don't have that same urgency that we do as students where we're only here for four years and then we leave and we just keep cycling out. Uh, so seeing how decisions are made at that level, it's like you know, 10, 15 years is what they're thinking about.
3: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> and then often it's like the, the things that impact students on the ground um, should be part of those conversations,
2: but often aren't. What sort of things would those be?
1: Um, Yeah, so I guess I had like a meeting yesterday um, with some students um, and one of the VPs around um, supporting Indigenous students um, around what's happening with Wet'suwet'en. I don't know if you guys know too much about, yeah. Yeah. So the illegal state violence um, of Canada and trying to build um, pipelines there for, for the purpose of you know commodifying the land and using it as like a resource and so we were talking with um, the VP about how we can you know create student supports um, for students on the ground here today Um, and so they were talking about you know we're like in the process of like hiring these different positions that will support people and then they'll do these things Um, and it's like very much like later on but it's like actually we have students here today who like need you know mental health support our Dalhousie's mental health services are improving, um, but there's still many gaps, including like a cultural competency piece where folks aren't able to get the supports they need when people don't understand the lived experiences they're coming from. Um, And so being able to kind of talk about, okay, the university has a plan for hiring these two new positions and then everything will be like, you know, solved in their mind, but it's like actually hiring like one more staff person to support indigenous students is right. you know a great thing like we're moving in the right direction and so oftentimes I'm in those situations where I'm like understanding now that institution institutional change takes a really really long time I'm able to be like okay yes this is like moving in the right direction but at the same time I see the students who are here today and who are suffering and who need like support today and who aren't going to benefit from that like five years later. Um, support that like will come in and maybe we'll also have some issues later.
2: And and is the institution moving in the right direction do you think?
1: I mean students are definitely holding it accountable to do that and I think we as students um, play a huge role and often underestimate how much our voices play into it. I'm often told every single time I go to different um, spaces that it's like the students voices are what people will listen to. Um, But then the students sometimes often don't understand how the institution works. And so to actually bring students' voices in um, in a meaningful and effective way is like a challenge that I think the DSU um, should be addressing. And is like, that's the work that I'm trying to start Mm -hmm. doing at least um, to then build up for the next few years.
2: Is there a way that students, uh, just any any normal students, could make institutional changes or does it have to go through uh, other people? Well, I guess everything in an institution <laughs> has to go through other people, but is there any ways that they could actively kind of participate in this change?
1: Yeah, I, I guess, like... So, like maybe let's take an example, like, you know, we're working on, like, food security, we're working on mental health, we're working on, like, tuition, we're working on centering folks on the margins and having a more, like, equitable um, and anti-oppressive understanding of education and institutions. So, I guess, is there any issue that you folks are interested in talking about? Maybe I can, like, lead you through the cycles of how I think change can come
0: about. uh, Actually, uh, mental health support, like, in residence, specifically.
1: Yeah, okay. So, with mental health, um, you have the... Mental health sits under Student Affairs. Student Affairs, um, provost is Ivan Joseph, um, vice provost, Verity. Um, So Ivan doesn't actually deal with the mental health stuff, it would be Verity. So under Verity, there's the whole department. Um, David Pilon is the head of that, and he's super great, but again, one individual cannot change a whole um, institution. And so issues that you come up with first is funding. Are we getting enough funding there? Um, and so what can students do to advocate for more funding? We physically cannot give them more funding, right. um, but we can participate in, you know, when the budget proposals come out, actively engage in that process to ensure that funding is going into the areas we want. Now, budget consultation um, has now changed since last year because we actually asked the university to change that because before they just, like, show us the budget and be like, here you go, and we'd have, like, absolutely no way to change that as we saw with the tuition. Um, right. Yeah. F- um, yeah not our ATM tuition <clears throat> campaign there um, and so to actively engage with the budget you'd have to be involved from like day one from when they're creating that budget and so if you're just a student who you know goes to mental health services um, isn't getting the support you need or you gonna know, get turned away I know previously they used to have like you have to show up and book an appointment if you wanted a day of appointment and sometimes you'd like miss out if you weren't there at 8 a.m. so you'd have to like leave and so yeah, so the way the resources are allocated to that is like a whole other process that like has nothing to do with like David and like the center's ability to do, to do their work. Um, and then you said mental health specifically for residences, um, so then you'd have to create a program. And so first they'd have to like do an evaluation of like what is the need, then they'd have to do like a cost analysis, benefit, or like you know all those committee work to actually figure out if this is something people want, if it's cost effective, if it will make a difference in their metrics. And so I know right now they're really struggling on getting um, an understanding of what like the student experience metric is, because you can, you know, do a survey and figure out how many students come in and how many students go out and who uses them. But how do you talk about the student experience as a whole? And how do you get that feedback and make sure we're using that as like one data point to then influence the way Um, Our services are being done and so right now they don't have a way to do that and so the DSU um, And some great work that the VPSL is doing is the mental health forums where folks meet once a month um, with David Pilon um, Ruby Coles, who's our lovely lovely VPSL um, and Students come together to talk about mental health at Dalhousie and so those conversations do make a difference Um, But then again, you know, you have to figure out, okay, where resource allocation, um, what is the priority? And at the same time, you're also doing all the other things that, like, already exist. And so, like, that upkeep and that continuous flow of, you know, people coming in, people going out needs to be taken care of as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What would you say to a student who's looking to uh, get into the DSU, into, like, a um, a, – you guess uh, president what would be the kind of the responsibilities that they should kind of uh, establish before going to that or uh, the roles that they should uh, take on before
1: yeah so I think like getting involved in student life first and foremost um, if you've like whether it's like a society whether you're on like committees for your faculty um, whether you're like a teaching assistant and you're like engaging I think somehow engaging with student life outside of like academics um, and outside of Um, you know, doing things like for yourself per se, but really like giving back. If you're in a position where you're giving back to students, then you're able to like see the vital role that plays um, in our student experience and then you're able to like get those, um, yeah get the experience that you've brought and then bring that to the table, which I think is important.
0: I would like, because we've been on topic of the DSU, I'd like to talk about you. I don't think a lot of people know who you are. Um, So as so far, you've told us about your siblings. Um, did you always grow up in Canada?
1: Yes. I yeah. was born and raised in Halifax. No way. Um, yeah. Grew up in the pubs and then moved to Fairview when I was like 11, 12-ish.
0: Cool. Yeah. And like, uh, what are the pubs? I'm not from oh, <laughs> um, Halifax. So <laughs> pubs with pu- public housing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. That, may, that, was like, yeah, is, that a, is that like short hubbers Hubbard's or something? Um,
1: I, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, pubs, I think it's, yeah, pubs, public housing. Okay. So,
0: yeah. so you grew up in Halifax in the area. So you really know what life is like in Halifax and what the people in Halifax are going through. Do you find that experience has sort of helped you and shaped you to un- do your role better in, on campus? Because yeah. you're more in touch with, like, the the community around you?
1: I guess, like, um... Maybe a bit more about me. Um, so my parents are um, immigrated here um, from Ethiopia um, way back when, in like their 20s, I think. My dad went to like high school at Sackville High. No way. Um, and they both studied at St. Mary's. Um, so they came as like I guess in my mom as an international student for St. Mary's, and then my dad came a little earlier than that. Um, and so we're originally, um, yeah, originally from Ethiopia, and we're ethnically Oromo, um, which is, like, the indigenous people um, of Ithi- of that, like, East Africa horn area. Mm. Um, and so our family history has also dealt with, like, colonization within Africa, which I think is, like, a really interesting topic because, you know, we speak about, like, indigenous people here, um, and I, like, love thinking about, like, indigenous people across the world having, like, dealt with that, like, colonialism and how, like, Um, For the Oromo people, the Oromo language was banned for like 200 years um, as like a means to get them to assimilate into the language of the general populace. Um, and as that's a way to a, cut them from their culture, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. like you know, here in residential schools, we know that they weren't allowed to um, speak their language, and so like losing um, language is a way to like cut you from culture and cut you from knowing who you are and assimilate you into your people. So I think that's a really wow. cool perspective that I, you know, bring from like my own families did your um, parents histories? know
0: the language at all yeah so my oh, parents yeah amazing.
1: yeah yeah so my parents can speak oromo and i can also speak oromo oh, wow. that's um so yeah cool. it was like one of their big points was like teaching us how to speak our language and like they knew the connection it had to culture 100% um, and so i remember when i was growing up um all you know all the kids always getting like the new things i think like Nintendo DS's were like a big thing and like Tamagotchis were things like throughout the years and my dad like did not get me a Nintendo DS and I was like dad Everyone else in school has one. I am lame. You know, no one else everyone else is playing these games I have nothing to do and he was like Aisha. I took you back um, to your homeland to see your culture None of those kids got that opportunity because I also grew up, right. I grew up in, like, a big, like, immigrant Muslim community. Um, and he was like, those kids didn't get those opportunities, but you did. And, like, that is my priority for you. Mm. And as, like, an 11-year-old right. kid, I didn't understand that. And I was like, but I still want my Nintendo DS. Oh, my God. And I'm lame. And no one wants <laughs> to play with me. But in hindsight. Um, but now I'm yeah. like, yeah. Like, That's so cool. I've gone back to Ethiopia maybe five, five-ish times. Um So I got to like, you know, engage in Oromo culture and see like Oromo people and like see a whole different world. Um, And it's it's cool. I think there's a difference between like just going to a different like country and like seeing it versus like going back to where your roots come from and being like these are my people and this is the land where my history comes from. Um, and so that was, like, really
0: empowering and cool. That's so cool. I couldn't agree more with you about language. Yeah. Um, my mom, my dad immigrated. is a second-generation immigrant to Canada, um, from a Lebanese. And my mom is first-generation immigrant. So I'm, just, like, somewhere between second and third. I'm not really sure. 2.5. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but my mom always, they always try to speak Arabic at home. So I, I started to read and write and speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where I'm, i want to make sure that my kids know arabic mm-hmm. um not only because it is, it is such a beautiful language that uh just has like there's such a a friendly language there's words in there of blessing of like, kindness that don't exist mm-hmm. in the english language and, mm-hmm. and they're just good things to know but also because knowing the language helps you connect with people from your own country yeah. and there's the easiest way you see someone you hear arabic you're like my friend like have you be, like immediately there's no you don't care who they are what they look like they speak Arabic you're best friends like yeah. no questions about it um and that was those that sense of community no matter where you are that's what I want my kids to have a hundred percent
1: yeah and I think like language plays a huge role in like human communication mm. um and I think thinking about like what concepts and what knowledge we can like communicate with each other is like a huge thing I think about often where English is often so limiting for me um, because I'm not able to like piece together like what I'm like trying to explain um, for example um, I don't know if you guys know about Arari the subcat. yeah <laughs> she's here every Wednesday 11 <laughs> to 1 um, in the sub lobby um, but her name Arari um, is actually an Oromo word um, the way you pronounce it is Arari um, and so it means peace But Uh it actually doesn't just mean peace, because peace is just like such a standstill word. It means the process of peace has been completed. And so you've done that reconciliation Mm. and then you're at peace. and so oftentimes when like, you know, me and my siblings are having an argument, my mom would be like, okay, it's time to, you know, we have to like do, make peace. Uh, make peace. Um, and then we like go through the thing and then we've reached peace and then we've um, araried. And so
4: that's so cool. it's like
1: being able to understand um, different concepts or different processes I'm, you know, a computer science student, so I always think in, like, processes and, like, logical steps and different things. And so being able to talk about, you know, thinking about, like, reconciliation or, like, making, like, peace and, like, what, you know, what is our, like, vision for an equitable future for the world, something that I love thinking about and I'm always, (laughs) always trying to, like, figure out. Daydreaming. um, (laughs) Yeah. And so. Language is, like, you know, so limiting in some senses, but then when you, you know, go back to our own languages, we're able to, like, pick up concepts and contents and um, see what's important. And our values can be so derived from the way we speak about the things, ourselves included.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, That's so cool that you're, like, that the language... It's still a thing because I. Uh, there's nothing pisses me off more than people who come from Lebanon and the, they lose the language. And I'm like, come on, man, that's like the
1: easiest thing. And it's hard. It really is hard. It though. is. It, uh, I don't
0: blame them at yeah. all. Like it's more like the parents sort of like get too busy mm-hmm, and stuff. It mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so your parents immigrated when they're like young, like really young. That's mm-hmm. like that's hard. Did what did your parents do after they graduated?
1: Um. So my dad graduated with a chemistry chemistry degree from sci- um, from St. Mary's. and then he couldn't find like a chemistry job ish in Halifax, um, but then really knew that Halifax was like a good place to like raise your kids and like we had like a, mm-hmm. there was like a really good community here back in the 1990s, early 20s. Um, and so he decided to stay here, um, started a driving school. Um, and so he, you know, we had a little mom and pop shop driving school, um, that they ran. Um, so, you know, working for himself, um, means we didn't get any like, you know, health benefits or like <laughs> all of those pieces, um, which is like, um, unfortunate. But, um, you know, he definitely provided for us and that was super great. My mom actually had to, uh, drop out of school because of all the kids she had <laughs> and so she made the choice to like prioritize us um as what she you know does with her life Absolutely. and so um so so grateful for
0: yeah. her yeah no 100% my mom um did the same with us well she, her and my dad sort of worked together on everything but um she homeschooled us mm-hmm. she taught us everything and like I to this day don't know how she knows so much mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh it's a there's something about um like the like moms who know how to um, guide you, not just um, like take care of your physical needs, but to guide that, uh, um, Arari that, that sort of bring that culture in and teach you the culture and like cook you the food. There's something about like every time Sam comes over to my house, my mom's like, all right, Sam, sit down. We're getting you some food. It like is really hard not to eat. In that <laughs> household. Yeah. Um, and just having even like, she still went, went and like did what she wanted to do. Um, but she spent a lot of time with us and worked on us, and I'm eternally grateful for that like mm-hmm. that's like um I wouldn't call it a sacrifice because it's more like an ultimate investment, you it's know a, what I mean no
1: yeah hundred percent yeah
0: that means you, are you close with your mom
1: yes
0: yeah. i uh, I definitely need to, like i call home like once a, once a week, but um there's nothing that my parents don't know mm-hmm. like it's one of those relationships that I've always tried to maintain like a hundred percent um if I have a question. My parents probably have that answer. Um, that's cool. Are you close with your siblings still now that you're, like, sort of disconnected in that way?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely, um, yeah, love Love my siblings, love my family. I think, you know, one thing I learned at university, you know, going through all these things is, like, the importance of family and how mm. um, having that is so critical to, like, who you are and, like, you know, always be having, like, a place to go back home to. And I think for me – um, home isn't, like, where I grew up necessarily, but home is, like, my family. Same. Um, and so there's that space for me. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. All right, so did you f- do you feel like sort of you're, you've used your cultural sort of knowledge and uh, the, the way your parents raised you in, um, like, do you feel like it's integrated well in sort of Canadian society, or do you feel like there's constantly a clash between um, your culture and your, your values that your parents uh, ingrained in you and Canadian
2: culture?
1: Yeah, so I think like having grown up with two cultures in front of me, um, and then also throwing into the mix my religion, Islam. Mm -hmm. um, So, like, three different like value sets, really, when you think about it, um, about how, you know, what life is, how to go about life, what is important, all of those pieces. And so, I think I'm able to like examine and like, you know, see the situation. (laughs) see the situation that's in front of me and then be able to kind of decide from these like three different sources of like a solid like value set of like what actually is like important to me Um, and so oftentimes sometimes that is like clashing with what my parents would necessarily want for me um, or clashing with what Canadian society would deem like of value Um, and sometimes you know I whenever I've made the wrong choice I can tell because, like, I instantly feel that, you know, like, that guilt or that, like, you know, right. like, oh, this was, you know, you sacrificed a piece of yourself to fit into Western society. Mm. Um, and next time I will not do that. Um, so, right.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think I know what you mean. Like, because I moved here, like, four years ago. I'm still, like, basically mm. fresh off the boat. Um, <laughs> um And uh, there's still every now and then I I realize something about myself that is only like still very new. Um, but there's definitely like, if you talk to like Sam was one of the first people I met when I first came to Canada. Um, and if you talk to him about what I was like and like socially, and then what I am now, um, I've definitely, a lot of me has been chipped and replaced and, uh, to fit in, um, and to adapt. Um, but yeah, it's, I've always followed that with my religion, my culture, Um, More recently than ever, I realized I have to to fall back on that because um, when you're sort of in a position where you have to, like, learn from your environment, I always find I have to fall back on those sort of values that I was taught. Like, okay, what is most important to me? Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that our our parents were um, religious, um, were also uh, culturally involved and very, like, um, strong people, I think that genuinely helps you in every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. it's really cool
1: yeah like you know one thing that i'm always like really curious about or like daydreaming as you said about is like the equitable future and how do we like exist today and how do we like as individuals work towards creating that whether it's you know as the dsu president and with all the institutional power and like access i have versus if you're just like you know a student trying to like get through school like how do we all actively contribute towards that and so i think in those hard situations where I'm like, what actually is right? What is the right thing to do? Mm. Um, I fall back to like, you know, thinking about like my little brother and like kids and like, you know, go back to that like, okay, what would a kid do in this situation? Or what would a kid think is important or like valuable? And how do we like actively engage with that and not make compromises that you make as adults um, for things like money or time or fame? Or clout or what have you not, um, and instead do like the right thing. And so I think that plays a part in it. And then also being able to, you know, pick and choose from like the different cultures. Like I've existed in like two different um, mindsets or like worldviews the, you know, Oromo, Muslim, second gen. immigrant here and then like you know the western canadian Mm -hmm. society that i like grew up and lived in and like this is my home and like i know no other home than here and i've existed in this society my whole life and so being able to see those two i'm often able to be like okay actually this choice um you know you can play up these values or you can play up these values um and trying to figure out where you want to fit in or what you want to do um and then yeah, I don't know. I, like, fundamentally believe money isn't real and time isn't real. <laughs> um, and so, therefore, like, what are we doing on this planet when we are building pipelines um, for money when money actually isn't real and, like, the planet is real and we're, like, destroying <laughs> that. So, yeah.
0: I guess the, 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 good, the, the argument could be the Earth has life, money does not. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. it doesn't, you're fighting yeah. over an inanimate object when there's literally yeah. r- living and breathing life all around you. Um, so, how has so like how have you used your like sort of value base um, or like your priority as like, so you fall back on those priorities um, for an equitable future? What is an equitable equi- 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 equitable future for you, and how has that structured your decisions and all that you've done in your presidency?
1: Wow, the ultimate question, Chad, <laughs> you've asked me. What is an equitable future? We've been warming future? up for like half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: now we're going the harder <laughs> This is the boss battle.
1: Damn. Yeah. Um, an equitable future. Well, I think... Oh, I think like... Well... Oh, this is actually so hard. Oh, my God. Um, an equitable future is a... Like today's society and a place where we exist where um we have reached Arari, so we've done gone through that process and we've gotten to um the piece um and that i think is grounded in our historic reality and i think that's a really important piece for me where it's like the world has gone through so much fucked up shit Mm. like so much from like residential schools to concentration camps um to colonization and the industrial revolution and all of you know sexism and like women not being able to vote or not having any value in society other than like being an object that you're traded between men to make um, packs about land and animals and stuff and so I think grounding ourselves in that history that we come from um, and then being able to be like okay what comes next for humanity and how do we actively play a role in that and so you know me existing and breathing every single day I'm actively playing a part in like creating the future and so how do I decide to exist in a world where my, you know, my goals aren't make as much money as I possibly can. My goal isn't be as like popular or as like well esteemed as I possibly can. Um, my goal isn't like you know trying to further my personal career mm-hmm. at the um, disadvantage and at the expense of other people. Um, but how do I actively create a world where, you know, 20 years from now I can look back and be like, yeah, I like did the right things and I can like look at my little brother and be like, yeah, I did the right things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I tried. That's a lot
0: harder said than that. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I look back like two years. I can't (laughs) confirm. (laughs) 20 years. That's a stretch. (laughs) I'm 21. And I, I guarantee you my, by the age I was one, I did not do anything right. Um, so okay i'm just trying to summarize that basically uh you're trying to build a future that first corrects the wrongs from the past um and then makes the future more uh fair in a way is that a fair summary, like
1: uh yeah i think like correcting the mistakes of the past would automatically mean that we've came to a solution where we're able to move forward. It right. feels like correcting the mistakes of the past and moving forward so into the future okay. and like continuously. Because like, you know, there are like so many problems like climate change. How the fuck are we going to solve that? I don't like, think anybody let, really knows. Le- but that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's where we should all be putting our time and energy and resources. Yeah. Not building pipelines, but yeah. like solving it so the world right. doesn't burn. Um, so, all
0: right. Yeah. I, think, I think I understand what you're saying now. Um, yeah. And so with that in mind how has your presidency been do you say you it was a, has it's wrapping up in the next few months would you say you've you've done that well
1: i've done the best <laughs> that i could have done
0: that's all you can really say um
1: yeah and i like i think i've learned so much about like like i was talking about like institutions earlier and like the roles institutions play but also like the influence an individual can have on an institution and mm-hmm. oftentimes it is like yelling into the void i feel like Um, where you're held to, like, you know, there's, like, all these, like, different moving pieces and different people, and there's, like, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of people play out or, like, have a job to play at the university, whether it's, like, their actual job um, or, like, they're, like, a student trying to get their academics and, you know, learn stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, like, what influence can I have on shaping that? Um, And so I think I've been able to, like, pull from a lot of my past experiences, whether, like, Excuse me. whether on, like, societies, um, whether involved um, on campus. I was, like, a teaching assistant for, like, two years. Um, so, like, really pull everything, like, I've experienced um, and then move that forward into, okay, this is, like, the role of the president and this is the role of the DSU and this is our mandate. Um, and our mandate is to, like, support students through an anti-oppressive framework um, to ensure that student life is thriving the best it can. Um and so using all the knowledge I have on filtering it through what actually physically can be done because, you know, I can't just come in and be like, okay, everyone, the world's better now. (laughs) I fixed it. Free tuition. I've done it. (laughs) It was all me.
0: I wish. That'd be amazing.
1: Um yeah. And so I think like Filtering like what I'm working on right now um, is a five-year strategic plan for cool. the institution, and so a lot of my job has been like consult consulting with students. I'm like having those like on the ground conversations, um, and really figuring out like what are issues students care about and what does the DSU's power to like move forward. And so as of right now, we have like five-ish five priorities so far. They might change, but like what mm-hmm. they are right now is, um, you know, mental health, food security. Um, our education, um, centering the margins. Can't remember what the fifth one is. It's
0: well, kind of that means it's going to change. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <More> <laughs> about that.
1: Yeah, um, and so then being able to be like, okay, what is like achievable like in the next year, and then what is achievable in the next five years, and like, because mm-hmm. like, you know, power doesn't concede anything without a demand, and power doesn't concede anything without like an organized demand. And so, how do we as students um, first figure out what we want? figure out what we're actually able to like change in this institution and then work towards slowly like building towards something, you know, and it's going to take time. And so how do we like align ourselves so that we're like, this is the goal in five years. So what can we do today? And what yeah. can we do this year? And what can this executive do next year? And like, how do we push the needle forward constantly? Is and so that's anyth- the work I'm doing.
2: Is there anything that uh, you tried to get done, but uh, for whatever reason, whether it be institutional inst- interference uh, or otherwise, uh, that w- did not happen and that you encourage uh, further years to explore? Ooh.
1: Um, hmm.
2: That's a, that's a, that's If that's
0: a hard question to answer, then you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess like, I, you know I came in wanting to like shift the culture and so I think I've like succeeded in that like I yeah. you know we came in we did the things and I think the d- direction and like the trajectory of the DSU has been changed um, this year and so I think that you know understanding how different pieces play into it and like getting into the nitty-gritty details is like what the strategic plan is and like what um you know that constant engaging with students is to like move us forward but i think you know my goal at the end of the day was i want the dsu to be like a student hub for students by students where we're able to um you know come together and have these conversations about like how do we better the student experience here today and Mm -hmm. have that be the priority yeah
0: better the student experience yeah um do you feel like you've done that like sort of made the environment on campus better through i know you did um uh, you did the f- the fries thing for the O Week. Um, I had to learn that by heart. By the way, I wasn't like, O Week later. <laughs> Yay, uh, <laughs> O Week! Get involved. <laughs> um, you've uh, did the restructuring so that um, I talked to Ruby a lot about that. We can go into that detail a little bit that later. Um, you worked a lot with administration on the new sort of uh, liquor uh, s- sorting way, or the way the method of um, li- uh, like licensing. Um, you've worked on. Uh, after that you you worked you guys did a uh, mental health clinic up here in the sub um, and what are some other things that you've done to achieve that just so people know what what you've been what you've been up to for the past year
1: yeah um so at Senate, which is the academic governing body of the university um, we are in the process of introducing the New deal um, which is a whole suite of different like reforms um, that have to do with um, the building a relationship between student, faculty, and staff, um, engaging in the um, institutional wrongs the university has been a part of and how to like fix those, um, and then bettering the overall student experience in the classroom. Um, and so that's like institutional change, which, you know, we started this year and will like continue on through the various subcommittees to the committees, to the voting, and like all of the politics that play out mm-hmm. there. Um, but we've like started that conversation there. Um, cool. And so I think that's really cool. And so we're like, you know, leaving a package of, um, you know, leaving a package of the reforms themselves and the policies and like where they should go and like who you should talk to to like move them forward and how you like do coalition building and how you like garner support within the other folks who have like a voting power and how you get people to buy into um, the institutional changes you're trying to do and like move those forward. Um, so I think that's really cool around our like student um, academic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, food security. I think, oh, we've done so much this year around food security. So over the summer, we moved our food bank from, like, a small storage closet to um, a whole bigger office um, there. And then we've, like, been in the process of, like, fixing up the way we act, you know, we get the food students access the food and, like, Mm -hmm. serve it. We have so much.
0: It's honestly so good. I used it all summer. I always not in a good financial position after school <laughs> finished last year. And the student, the, the student, uh, the, the, the DSU's food bank literally fed me for months. Yeah. Like it was, saved my life. Mm-hmm. Genuinely. Mm-hmm. I can I have so much praise for that because even, even when it was still in the small room, it was all I needed to get by. It was mm-hmm. exactly how much I needed. Really good job on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're seeing like so much more students accessing our food bank. And so we're able to be like, okay, like food insecurity is an issue mm-hmm. on our campus, like is an issue. And we know students can't succeed academically if they're actually not able to right. sustain them, them themselves physically. Um, and so that's been like a huge project that our member services coordinator you, has taken under.
0: Do you find that there is a lack of education of what food insecurity is? Because I know a lot of students who um, sort of, comfort background where it's seen as almost that like there's, like, this social um, uh, stigma about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, yeah, I've eaten, like, Mr. Noodles on a regular basis. And it's like, I'm like, but there's a food bank. You have food there? It's like, yeah, but, like, I don't really need it. I got my Mr. Noodles. There's almost, like, eating Mr. Noodles on a regular basis is not a healthy diet.
1: No.
0: No. no. that I would consider that a food insecurity yeah. um, because you don't have the proper nutrients. You don't have the proper, like, protein. Um, the, all those... Um, uh, elements to a healthy diet mm-hmm. um, so I, I, the one thing that I the conversation I had because I talk with the food bank all the time like guys it's awesome it's free food you don't have like you don't have like a veggie that you need uh, for your meal jump in there grab a veggie and go um, uh, it's sort of people don't understand what it what you're supposed to be eating because they're usually fresh off like the so the parents taking care of them they have no idea how to cook for themselves they're just like
2: Mr. Noodles, it tastes good.
0: <laughs> it's, it must be real food. Yeah. Um, I wish there was more education on what that means. Yeah. Because a lot of my people I've seen around campus do not eat well. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's really great that you say that because like we're currently in the process um, under our VP Academic and External bringing together all the different folks who work on food security at the DSU. So it's like the farmer's market which sells mm-hmm. um, produce at cost. And that. so you're able yeah. to get like local fresh produce at the same cost that we purchase a
0: week's it. worth of veggies is like 20 bucks. 20 bucks, like yeah. You can yeah? order a box That's and amazing. it's like all
1: packed for you. You it's just insane. pick it up. Um, you can get a mini or you can get the like large size yeah. um and then we have our sustainability office de suso who does like breakfasts mm-hmm. on sexton campus we have loaded ladle which serves loaded food ladle. um four days a week and like we're expanding on tuesday to, to
0: friday 1
1: 8 1 p.m yeah i know i know my <laughs> <alternate> <laughs> <lot of food. laughs> i'm a student you love to eat money. chad <laughs> um, I so old. yeah So, we're bringing together all those different folks who like touch on food security um, for our students um, together to like work on creating a food security campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that is actually currently in the works as we speak. Um, And so, we're trying to figure out how we can pull um, relevant data from our student body um, as well as like pull um, data from like the greater Canadian like context around food insecurity because I think that's an issue that like. Impacts us as students, but it's also like a issue within the whole city, where, um, you know, minimum wage is so low, mm-hmm. the cost of living is so high, and so oftentimes people have to choose between, you know, paying rent or paying your heat and power, especially in the winter, versus getting like healthy, good, nutritious food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so we're working on like, you know, starting up a campaign. Um, I don't know if I'll see it in my year. Um, but we'll definitely like leave all the notes and like different ideas together so that the next um, cohort of DSU exec can like take that on and really create it into something cool. That's mm. awesome.
3: Yeah.
0: So to I sort of want to talk about what you've been doing. I want students to know what you've been up to because I think the biggest problem um, with the perception of the DSU and you especially is people don't know what you've been up to. Mm-hmm. It's like there's not enough like positive um, med- like, things about the DSU. That's one thing for sure. Um so that's really awesome about the f- the food security. Um what else we've been doing?
1: Um so another initiative kind of on on the ball that's like not getting that too much attention. Um so coming out of the Not Dial Bound campaign where the tuition increases mm-hmm. happen for international students, um, we've started the process for creating the first issues policy for the DSU. Um so issues policies are really just any sort of policy that touches on an issue um, where students have like an interest in um, and so that DSU is able to take a stance on these issues moving forward or like advocate on them um, and so we were in the process of creating the first um, issues policy which is an international students issues policy and so that def came directly out of the not dial bound campaign students were like oh no you know out of that campaign. Um, Dalhousie was like, we don't really care. We're still increasing tuition. Sucks to suck, y'all. And then students were like, what do we do now? after that happened, mm-hmm. you know, after the Board of Governors what happened, and we were like, hey, what you can do is take all that, like, energy and knowledge and, like, experience you folks have and put it into an issues policy where now the DSU is mandated to actually do this work, because beforehand the DSU wasn't actually mandated to, to do the work, Okay. Um, and actually interestingly enough, the DSU took a, st- a different stance than students were taking at the time, I think it was, like, about, like, regulating fees, whereas students at the time wanted, like, um, you know, elimination of differential fees Um, and so That's like one piece. And right now we're in the consultation phase. So they've written the policy that was like over the summer and fall. They've written the policy. They've like gotten it all into like the legal policy type language. Um, And now we're working on moving forward with like consultation. And so that's going to be something we're like calling out to students to like get involved with. We're going to be presenting to the various international student societies um, on the different pieces of the policy. We're going to be holding like a town hall where students can come and engage with the policy um, and get their feedback in.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So that is, I I guess it's so hard to really do a, a lot of, like, big things in one year thing. So you're doing a lot of setting up, um, mm-hmm. which is all you can really do. Um, I find that one thing about the university experience is that it's so um, short. Yeah. And then there's so little time to make change in the four years when if the change at the administration's looking at 15 years. Yeah. Um, I've always found that if you want to make the most change, you have to change the regulations and the policies. Yeah. Um, even that, even though that takes a little bit more a little time, but it takes less time than to create an institutional change, right? It's um, sort of that every student who comes after you uh, knows the has the same message, and so they can keep mm-hmm. the fight going. Mm-hmm. Once you change the sort of the not just the conversation, um, but the way of like what we're teaching our leaders or what we're teaching. Um, uh, the, the students who are involved in the DSU, for example, mm-hmm. so they come in, they read sort of like the the, the files, they read all this information. And they're, okay, mm-hmm. I know where to keep going where I left off. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I think like one thing that is like systematic issue of the DSU is that every single year new execs would come in and it would be like a wiping of the slate, start exactly. fresh again. And exactly. you know, everyone does their. You know, we have like a week, which is like in the mandate of the student life um, VP you'd have um, completely blanking on all the things we do we definitely do a lot um (laughs) Um, well
0: like the internal works for the societies
1: yeah like working with societies doing the ratification so like all the different pieces everyone has their like portfolio Mm -hmm. and so it often just becomes you know you come in you have no idea what the dsu does you spend six months trying to figure out all the different things um you have like admin emailing you every single day being like come on this committee come on that committee and you're like i don't even know what anything is to be on a committee like and by the time you learn it you're six months in and then you're like oh i only have six months left and then you start doing work and then you're like oh no there's like two months left and i'm leaving and they're already doing elections and no one cares about me anymore and i'm just like (laughs) good this is are you talking about the point you're in right
0: now (laughs) (laughs) all right uh.
1: Um, so yeah so i think really again like thinking about like structural systematic mm-hmm. change and i'm really into that as a you know as you know when when i think about like the equitable future um and like the work i want i want to do moving forward i think like systemic change is like where that's at um and we if we're not doing systemic change then we're just like in the same cycle and we're just like running around in circles right um and so this year really hammering on to folks to do like a good transition report um, to stick around for transition because some execs last year didn't stick around. I personally didn't get a transition at all. Oh, wow. I got, like, an empty computer, few random files in cabinets, um, and no idea <laughs> what that was done before. Um,
0: Especially when, like, the DSU is held to such a high standard of, um, like, that has such a high expectation. Mm-hmm. That's, and you just... Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I think, like... Often, if you don't um, shake things up or if you don't, um, you know, I'm someone who challenges the status quo constantly, um, if you're not doing that, you're able to just, like, fly under the radar, you know? Mm -hmm. If you keep things business as usual, it's business as usual. No one's going to say anything. But it's when you come in and start changing things up that people are like, ah. Do you
0: feel like (laughs) that's been, like, the hardest part of your experience? Because you have changed quite a bit. And... Probably for the better. I mean, that, that's what I want to talk about mm-hmm. um, next to clarify, mm-hmm. because I think people have a wrong notion on why you've done a lot of things that you've done this this uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that everything that's happened, the controversies, they've been um, for the better good? Like they've been a good decision that you, you sort of don't regret doing?
1: Yeah, so I guess like from the DSU perspective, um, everything we've done like makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. um, and you know I speak a lot about like having been involved in the DSU for four years. Like yeah. my sister was president two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was involved with the DSU since. What I was said. your sister's name? Amina. I Amina.
0: Mean, it wasn't. Be, it was before my time. But I, I went through <laughs> yeah. it with previous execs. I was like, I think I might recognize this person. But uh, okay, yeah, that's awesome.
1: So Aaron Prosper before Aaron Prosper was Amina before Amina was um, Kathleen before Kathleen was Dan Nicholson, um, and so that's kind of the legacy of presidents hey, that I come from. The avatars. And yeah, so I've like been involved and like in the loop of the DSU for those four years. Um, and, you know, I I remember telling, in second year, I remember telling my best friend, like, please never let me run for the DSU presidency or anything. I said the anything. exact
0: same thing. Uh, I, like, I don't want to get involved in student politics and yeah. I'm getting involved in student <laughs> politics. <laughs> yeah, I was like,
1: don't let me get involved. If I ever tell you, be like, nah, and then, yeah, she told me. And I was like, oh, whoop! <laughs>
0: I'm graduating two months. It's too late. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah. So, like, I have, you know, that very close experience with this institution as a student body. Um, and then also having done, like, the advocacy work um, of, like, asking for better for students at mm. the administration, at the faculty level, um, having had students come to me and be like, I'm struggling with, like, xyz what do i do and having to like support and help them navigate like you know a lot of students um take on that like peer support and we're often not recognized for that when we have students Mm -hmm. who are struggling whether it's you know accessing the sexualized violence policy um or getting accommodations um for like an illness um or, you know accessing food like oftentimes our friends are our biggest like supporters through that and so I've always played the role within like my friend group of like helping folks navigate the institution um, and always had people come you know to me when they're having like these problems throughout the year and also like being you know presidents of societies having started new ones having been part of old ones sitting on various committees of the DSU I've seen the way this institution worked and so coming in for me it was about okay how do we make this body um that has a lot of resources and a lot of potential how do we maximize that potential
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
4: Um, can you talk to us a little bit about like what happened with like the Grawood and like kind of like from your perspective behind the scenes cuz I know there's a lot of like controversy behind it and and the public kind of was like upset um so you can you just give us a little rundown um,
1: Yeah. Um so we restructured the DSU in june um and so that was really to again like maximize the impacts of like the structure of the dsu i talk about like structural change Mm -hmm. a lot um and so how do we create an institution that is able to like do the work that's like student facing and so we created two new positions um one a brand new position the director of research and outreach um to do those points of like researching issues out um, outreaching to students and engaging with our student populace um and then being able to bring that to like constantly shift that like strategic priority of the DSU to make sure like we're relevant to our students um, and then the other position director of operations um, would be in charge of running like the overall operations of the union um, including the our bar services including our like contractual agreements with you know the health plan um, with like space agreements that we have within the sub um, our like chartwells contracts, so like all our food Um, And so really just keeping like the day-to-day operations there. Um, And then the rest of our departments are like one-person departments. So our like member services department is our member services coordinator. Our policy department is our policy and governance coordinator. Um, So really trying to figure out how we can create those like supports within the staffing structure of Mm -hmm. the DSU um, to then support executives first and foremost, because it's their mandate to be doing the work of creating... um, the Work of the DSU um, and then ensuring that our like staff um, have also that support to then be able to like come together as opposed to like working within like silos or like all working in various tangents. Really bring the DSU together so we're able to like focus on our like anti oppressive mandate of like s- providing supports for students. I often explain the DSU to people as like the band aid solution to the student experience. Mm. Um, you don't <laughs> You know, if you're living your best life, um, if your daddy's paying for your education, um, if, you know, you have a nice apartment and, you know, parents are helping you pay rent and they're giving you money for, like, food, you're, like, you know, chill living your life, going through academics, like, yay. Um, But then there are students who don't have um, those, like, privileges, Um, maybe can't afford to pay for food, maybe, you know, maybe um, have experienced um, Sexual violence, um, maybe are dealing with um, profs who are creepy in some way or another, mm. you know. And so they, when you need help, you come to the DSU. And so if you don't need help, you don't necessarily need the DSU and like the services that we provide at that level. But if or if you're being, um, you know, academically penalized for something, you know and you're like, I don't know where to go, you come to the DSU. And so our services are like, you know, food bank services are um, DSAS, Dalhousie Advocacy. um, DSAS, Dalhousie Student Advocacy Center, I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Abby does great work. Um, So all these like resources and service, you know, the Survivor Support Center, um, All these like resources and services we have are to like catch folks when they fall through the cracks. And that's like what a union's like job is. We catch the Mm -hmm. people who are falling through the cracks because, you know, Dalhousie is supposed to be providing us with an education and like all these things that we need and like should be like supporting us. Um, But when they don't, what, where do students go? Mm -hmm. And so the student union is that response to that student's need for support.
4: I just want to run back there. So I remember you, like, I saw an article here where you're talking to the Gazette and you're basically saying you want to be able to connect students better with, like, um, like with the power, like with DSU and with higher up. And I'm just wondering, like, when those three employees were let go, um, did you think the communication with the student body was as well as it could have been? Or do you think there was any ways that you could have improved... um, like like because when I found out it was like it was just through like seeing on like on global and whatnot like actual like citywide news so do you think there was a better way to communicate to the student body um when that change was going was going through
1: yeah and I think um communication has definitely been a big piece of like how do you communicate with 19,000 students mm. um, when we don't have access um, to an email other than sending out emails once a month which the university gives us permission to do otherwise mm. we don't actually have like email lists of folks um, social media only gets you too far if people follow you then you're there connected if not then they you know how do you get them to like follow you so they're able to like be kept in the loop um, and then when folks ask like specifically like our official communications um, and our like official governance, um, so that is the, uh, our council minutes, which are you know our council's the highest decision- making body at the u- university I'm or at, at the st- union sorry I'm like held accountable to them and so is like every other um, DSU executive. Um, and so those students represent all the other students who. Um, come from various either community groups or faculty level groups um and so that's where like our official communications um comes out on terms of like what the dsu does um but no there's definitely huge gaps around like how we can like better communicate with our students and i'm like constantly trying to figure out how we can like do that better Mm
0: -hmm. i guess you might have a new solution to podcast (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i would i would love honestly i've been telling everyone i was like someone help me do a podcast and they're all like yeah yeah and i'm just like no let's do it
0: funnily enough travis i don't think i ever told you this but the well we me and my roommates talked about having podcasts for a long time and then you came up to me uh during O week yes and you were like i'm starting a dsu podcast yeah the host of it and i was like and I was, julia was gonna be the other host yeah i was like that's awesome and then I started ticking and ticking in my head for a few months, and then I quit my job, and I was like, "I'm starting a podcast," oh, and I dragged Travis along, and I dragged Sam along with me. <laughs> That's, yeah. but yeah, the, the the you're probably the one of the two people who got this going. My roommate got the actually coined the name for this, um, the show, and then you're one of the other person who's like, "Probably we we'll just do it in, on campus." I was
4: like, <laughs> <laughs> "We're supporting your quarter life crisis." Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's like yeah, I'm just. Gonna, just <laughs> throw my money out and jump into this
4: <laughs> but yeah that, I mean
0: the podcast would work for communication um, a lot of people were really upset about the fact that Craig and Greg were such experienced um, uh, like employees mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot to say about the institutional knowledge that they that wasn't being shared um, but did you consider that their their, their experience as a um, as something when you were letting them go
1: yeah and I think we know we took this was like a you know a very like big decision and like we did mm. not take it lightly and I hope students um, know or can see or can try to understand that we did take a lot of consideration came into like these decisions um, that we made um, and a lot of like weighing pros and cons and trying to figure out how to make different things work um, and how to really you know do the things we want to do. Um, And change a structure and like work towards like building that equitable future um, and then work within the system that already exists Um, And so yeah, a lot of consideration was taken into it Um, You know, I think we did You know, yeah, I think we did what we did Um, I've learned so much from this Mm -hmm. experience and um, There are a few things I would do differently if I could go back in time Um, And but yeah, I think you know, we I truly do believe the DSU is better off for um the changes that we've made and I think students will um maybe not today see those changes or see those benefits but I think um in mm-hmm. time
4: that will come. What do you hope that they'll see at the DSU? Yeah, like with the changes that you're saying that are going to kind of like mm-hmm. down the road, mm-hmm. what do you hope that uh they'll see?
1: Oh, okay. I guess. Ooh, I guess like maybe an understanding of what the DSU is. And like, you know, I explained that like band-aid solution um, to you folks um, and really having the DSU be like a hub for student advocacy, student engagement, student life, um, being able to very, I think, yeah. I think students have been historically the like catalyst for change across so many different boards. Um, you all around the world students are often like the first folks to come oh, oh. Sorry. um can I have you
2: hi uh, so, so um the next one I thought I could organize here but it's okay let me go to another please oh. I'll be on air uh, next um a few minutes so, so most of the time I I used to get organized here mm. but since we're busy doing something I can use the other yeah sorry about that man Cheers.
0: alright cheers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry where was I um,
1: yeah. I, yeah, I think like students have been so powerful and like changing so many things across the world, whether it's like the civil rights movements um, in the states, whether it's the um, Arab Spring uprising um, that toppled many um, dictators um, in the Arab world. Mm-hmm. Students have been that like first sign to be like, hey, we can actually build a better world. We can actually be the change we want to see in the world. Um, and so my hope is that the DSU becomes that hub for students where there's the support, there's the, you know, ambition for, and there's like the call to action for students where students can come forward with issues and then be an active part of solving those issues. And like by building community and by coming together um, be able to like tackle and like come towards solving those problems. And like, I think, you know, there's so many problems in the world. There's so many things going on. It's like, I don't think any individual person can be the, you know, the hero to come sweep in and save no, us it's all. Like a, it's like a tool. Um, but yeah, it's like a, it's a collective mm-hmm. and it's being able to like come together where it's like you have a part of this um, solution and you have a part of the solution. And by bringing our skills and our knowledge and our expertise um, together, we're able to like move us forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I, I, I agree. It was a lot of people I've talked to within the JSU. So I agree that... Um, the way that the issue was structured before it didn't make much sense um, in the way that information was being passed around, in the way that um, there was a high depend- dependency on key people in the uh, organization and then that um, responsibility of roles wasn't distributed well. Uh, it, I, I see why. That totally makes sense. What were the unexpected sort of Happens that came out after
1: that. Mm, okay. Um, so, alcohol. <laughs> I, um, I hate the word by now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the exact um, working um, probably the most on it in various ways. I don't think any of us expected the situation to blow out in the many ways it did um and so when the restructuring first happened um we as the dsu closed down the bar um for a bit just to make sure that we had everything in shape so that we were able to open it move forward and like actively know that everything was fine in terms of figuring out all the pieces um you know supporting whether it's like supporting staff and like um getting policies so okay to explain Mm -hmm. there's the university liquor license Mm -hmm. yeah um and so the dsu has always been under the university's liquor license to this day Um, And so when anyone says we're going to lose our license, it's like, actually, we're not going to lose our license because it's the university's license. We've never had... Ability to use it. Yeah. We've never had a license to lose one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) when everyone's like, oh, no, we're going to... I'm like, no, we've... This is not a thing that can actually happen. You can't lose something you don't have. Um, And so we were under... Or we are, still are, continues to be under the university's liquor license. Mm -hmm. Um, And so pre-restructuring the licensed um, designate um, who's the person who, like, does the administration work on the um, license itself and, like, you know, signs off. Have you guys ever run an event where you had to, like, wanted to serve alcohol and you had to get your forms filled mm -hmm, out and all that stuff? So that goes through, like, many steps. And, like, the final step in sign-off is the licensed designate being, like, cool, you've fulfilled all your paperwork and all your duties and your bar staff are trained and you've, like... Acquired alcohol in the appropriate manner um, and like your situation is event is all safe and good to go final sign-off Would be the license designate Um, And so during the restructuring um, the license designate position um, Was affected in the DSU where it no longer existed as the general manager um, which is where that That license designate responsibility was um, and we were hoping to move it to the director of operations um, because they're taking on that, like those responsibilities um, and their job is to like maintain like the safety and like the all of those pieces. Um, And so when that happened we were like in communication with the university, Um, they were aware post-restructuring, they were like we were you know chatting about the different pieces and like that came up and so they were like everything seems fine, Um, We just have to bring it to the Alcohol Advisory Committee to make that final, like, decision. And we were like, cool, what does the Alcohol Advisory Committee want to know? And they were like, they just want to know how we're going to, like, ensure the separation of power between um, the person managing the bar and the person, like, overseeing the license sign-off. And we were like, cool, 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 Mm -hmm. here are the various options that we can do. And they were like, cool, 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 bring it to that committee. Um, Then we bring it to that committee the next day, and then the committee's like, nope, we will not be doing this. Um, and we are taking the license designate from the DSU and bring giving it to mm. the university, um, and so that was like a decision that in our conversation with the university beforehand, they were like everything is fine, everything is cool, um, and then at that committee, they were like nope, it's mm. never mind, um, we're taking that license designation, um, and so I think that was a critical piece in the situation as followed. Um, They gave the license designation to um, the manager of the
0: U-Club. U-Club. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Janice Tate. Janice Tate. And first of all, that is like a huge conflict of interest um, in terms of our competitor, um, active competitor for the Greywood Tea Room, um, getting the license designation. Um, And yeah. So that was just like, Mm. okay. And then we were, like, you know, working through that. We were, like, university made that decision. It's their license. They get to decide, yada, yada. Um, But then we started running into, like, serious problems um, to the point where we – and, like, also miscommunication, and I, like, would like to blame the university for a lot of this miscommunication because they weren't communicating with us. They weren't communicating with students. They weren't communicating with societies. Um, and so the process that used to exist of approving events to go through um, had to go through the same process for students, or like the same ish process for students, um, and then would come to the un- to the DSU. and then the DSU was just like one other tick on the box that go to the licensed designate who is now um, manager of the U- U club um and processes were changing every single day mm-hmm. and i was like cc'd in many emails where there was one email where we got a form and they were like this is a new form we're going to be using for um this event or these this process can you let us know if you have any feedback by tonight um meanwhile we have all these other things mm. to do the license the director of operations has a whole other job outside of just me being on the alcohol portfolio um and then when we asked the university for clear communications on what the changes are and what they want to do they're like there are no changes this is the exact same process Uh and so that's where we were like okay you literally asked us for feedback on a new form you've developed for like how to um accurately go about the process of getting an event approved but then you're telling us there are no changes when we're like hi students have been asking What are the changes? We're also very confused as to what this process is. How do we get our events approved? And that created a huge backlog of paperwork. And I don't think anyone was like expecting this. I don't think the university was expecting this. We definitely weren't expecting this. Um, But that huge miscommunication and just like lack of communication um, meant that we were approving events day of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was, you know, many of the DSC exec would often it would be a Thursday, we'd run over to the manager of the U-Club's office, ask to get these forms approved for events that were tomorrow. Mm. Now, if you're a society, that's ridiculous, and you're running an event that <laughs> well, you've that planned so months and months and months <laughs> ahead, and you have no information, you have no idea what's going on, your paperwork is somewhere, whether it's at the University Club, whether it's at the DSU's table, whether it's at the Greywood, you have no idea what's going on. And you're like, can I serve alcohol at my event? Like I don't know. And so that was like extremely frustrating for students and like rightly so. I would be extremely pissed if I put an event together and then I like couldn't know what was going on with my alcohol service. Um, so we, throughout this process, we we went, um, we were continuously like engaging with the university because we like have those like seats at the table to like talk to different admin. And like, um, Ivan Joseph texts me, and <laughs> we have phone calls at like nine p.m. And I'm like, I would rather be doing something, <laughs> anything than talking to you right now, Ivan. <laughs> um, but we went through the process of you know going to the alcohol advisory committee, being like, hey, and you know this is like all through like letters that we like wrote to them. Um, being like, hey, we're confused about the process. What is going on? Please give us some mm-hmm. information. Students are confused. We're confused. What's going on? So
0: what changed between, like, did all that, there was a miscommunication on the forms that need to be done and the process, but the process was the same. It wasn't, so what did Craig do that mitigated all that? Because if he did, was he the only one who knew all the forms that you needed and, so, did, or did not all the forms be were not all the forms being used before during Craig's time? So, what
1: happened was the DSU turned into the middleman, as opposed to the person who gives the final sign off. Okay. So that was like I think where the key issue was where paperwork would come to the DSU desk, we'd do what we could or what we were supposed to do, and then pan it over to um, the university club for their final sign off. But in between that communication with us and the university, and between the societies and us. We were not able to tell the societies what they needed because we weren't being told what we needed. And so no one knew what was going on, except maybe. I
0: mean, the you know, easy solution would just remove the DSU and people go straight to the U-Club. And
1: that is what we've been advocating for since the very beginning. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so. Why has
0: that been so hard? Because that's honestly, I figured that out in like <laughs> three seconds. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, And so that was kind of like, you know, the conversation we were having with the administration where we're like, you know, we're here to like make this process happen and like move it forward. But it's like very much stuck in these like ways. So like, please tell us what the changes are. And that's what we were asking for at the beginning. Just like let us know what the changes are. I mean, we went to the Alcohol Advisory Committee. We went to um, Verity, who's like the chair of the Alcohol Advisory Advisory Committee. Um, Then we went to the interim president at the time, Terry Balser. Um, And everyone was kind of just like, Nope. Everything is fine. Listen to the direction of the licensed designate. And the licensed designate really wasn't giving us any The easy answer to that one
0: is I don't think any of them knew what was going on either. (laughs) A hundred percent.
1: And then we finally brought it to the Board of Governors. um, And that was like in October. So this has been going on from June to October. And it's been like the DSU trying to deal with and like get events happening. And so probably at this time, students are probably like aware of like events, you know, alcohol kind of being like, weird and like events not being processed and people like getting frustrated by this. And that's kind of like the general where students were at at that time. Um, So then we went to the Board of Governors and we were like, hey, um, so the DSU is no longer gonna be involved in this process. We're like removing ourselves, the solution that you came Mm -hmm. up with in like three seconds. (laughs) Um, We're removing ourselves from the process. You don't actually need us in the process. Um, And and we're gonna be sending people straight to you and then you can like approve their events. So we were just like, we're removing ourselves. You deal with the students directly. You're the license-designate. This is actually what makes the most sense um, And we can like no longer be involved in this process and aren't required to really Okay Um. And so then that was That went to the Board of Governors, which is like the highest body of decision-making in the university uh, And so then the next day we got a hand hand-delivered letter um, from Verity on behalf of Ivan um, where alcohol was suspended effective immediately, and then Ivan went on vacation the next day. Hmm. Mm. So we were like, <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> and, and they were like, sorry, no one can answer any of your questions because Ivan's gone. And we're like,
4: yeah. yeah. That's for a large part of this. Did you feel misunderstood?
1: misunderstood like
4: from your like from where you were like with like what the public was seeing and like what like all like behind the scenes like did you feel like what you were trying like what you were trying to fight for was kind of just being overshadowed at all
1: yeah and i think like this like this wasn't even really an advocacy issue per Mm -hmm. se we were kind of just like this system slash structure doesn't make sense where we're actually just approving things day of for events yeah. and that makes absolutely no sense um, so for the betterment of everyone and this process the DSU is stepping out so that folks can you know talk directly to the licensed designate and get that information process that they can actually hopefully create an internal process and um, our ask throughout this whole thing was like A. create an internal process that makes sense and communicate it with everyone um, and B. yeah just give us information so we can mm-hmm. like share that um, and so that's been like ignored throughout the um, And so then when the suspension happened, we were like, oh, my God, (laughs) why?
0: What I don't understand is um, sort of that your solution makes sense. But when it came out, when everyone knew, it was presented as a refusal to comply by the terms or the policies. That's what we all heard. Yeah. So where did it go from? We're just going to send you guys. The people like the society so that they can go straight to you because we don't know what's going on to we don't want to comply by the rules we refuse to come like yours because you you're asking ridiculous rules like that's because that's the, the, that's the message we all heard
1: and I think that's where politics <clears throat> plays in where the university span it spun it in that way to make it seem like we said that we weren't going to follow the rules but we've never never said we were not going to follow the rules Um, And so that's kind of why like the day of we kind of put all of our like documentation up on the website um, as well as like our statement Mm -hmm. being like this is a process we went through. Here's all the documentation with like the dates showing how we talked to the university. Here's what we said to the board of governors. And we never said we're not going to comply with the alcohol policy. That's never been something we've said. Um, But what we did say is we're removing ourselves from this process um, after having tried to support the license designate in their new position for various months and it just hasn't been working and we've been asking for an internal process to be created so that you know this can be made sense and that it's communicated to students and to everyone so we can actually work together and that hasn't been happening and so therefore we are um stepping back so that the licensed designate can do their role um, and play the job of creating that policy and that structure and so the other piece too is that if any changes were to happen um, with the alcohol policy or the process of how alcohol happens it had to be brought to the alcohol advisory committee and so nothing was actually brought to the alcohol advisory committee and so that would technically be our seat to be able to like understand what's going on and so changes were happening nothing was brought to alcohol advisory committee we were confused students were confused i'm sure the university was confused um and through our constant trying to be like hey please make a process please make a process please let's like do something because this is like unsustainable um and then our final you know step after going through like the levels from advisory committee to um verity to um, Terry was to the Board of Governors and just be like, you know, we're stepping out of this process. Mm. And then the university was like, DSU said they were not going to follow the policy. And I'm like, never said that. Okay. And so- then they were gone for a whole week. And like, that's that's the other thing that like really like upset me at that time, where if if Ivan Joseph, if Verity called me or texted me or sent me an email, as they do all the time, or Ivan specifically, um, we could have clarified right then and there, mm-hmm. no, we have <clears throat> absolutely no intention of not following the policy. What we're saying is we're stepping out of this process. But instead oh, of the doing... The
0: communication process between you, the societies and the, the administration, For the approval process. Okay, approval process. Yeah, because the approval, pro- yeah, approval it's process... It's not that you not don't want to comply by the policies and fill out the forms yeah. and like get them to uh, Verity, sorry, not Ver- to um, uh, Jazz State or the U Club mm-hmm. manager. It's you do not want to be the middleman for the societies and the administration.
1: And it's not even not wanting to be the middleman per se, but it's like the license designates job is to maintain that like system and process and structure of like moving things forward. Right. And so when that was taken away from us, which is like a breach of the um, alcohol policy in and of itself, when that was taken away from us, our ability to do anything was also taken away in mm-hmm. that sense. So we couldn't change the system and make it make sense even if we wanted to because we had, didn't have that power anymore. So that was taken from us. And so we okay. said, we actually cannot do anything in this process. We've been trying to help you move it along. Um, but when you took that license designation, you broke your own policy and you... Locked us out. Of locked game. us out of decision-making um, or like any... Having any role in this process. So
0: I guess the only thing that... I mean, that you could have done differently would be join the... Like sort of cooperate with the administration and to build a new sort of better policy making process or system did you try that at all or was it just can you give us answers and obviously they didn't know what was going on because uh, i don't my opinion on uh, institutions is that they're messed up because they're run by humans and humans are flawed and it's just a whole big shit show um so that was happening only um the manager duca would have known anything uh, ivan doesn't know anything about the, the procedures um would it have been easier to go to Ivan, to go to Janice, and, like, let's work together to create a better system instead of me expecting you to do something that you don't know how to do and I don't know how to do? Let's try and – Would did you try doing that?
1: Yeah, we definitely tried that. And so I think the other piece, too, is, like, the we lost the designation in July, mm-hmm. and then the suspension happened in October. So. Yeah. July, August, September, October. That was four months where we were doing that work that students aren't necessarily like weren't necessarily privy to, mm-hmm. and so we actually were doing that work for those four months to try to make that make sense. So what happened
0: for the Dal Fest um, beer sort of li- liquor caged off? Because from what I understand is, um, according to uh, Ivan, it was a, a missing forms. Like the forms weren't being. That was like a um, security check and fire marshal check, and uh, um, the uh, liquid the, the bartenders didn't have their server's service license on them. Was that an intentional sort of um, like? I mean, I, you just said you don't want to breach a policy. You don't want to breach any policies, but what happened there? Like.
1: Yeah. Um. So for those forms and things, in particular for that event, we. Produced everything that has been like produced in terms of paperwork and stuff of years past, um, and we were being requested to get information that we've never like actually provided before. So, for example, with the security, um, we were asked. I can't remember if it was like for the invoice or it was some paperwork we were asked for to get for security and so we hit up like um the folks and we were like hey can you like send us a thing that you always send us and they were like okay here you go and so they gave us that and then we submitted that and the university was like no that's not it we need something else and we're like what other thing and then they told us and we were and we were like okay and then we go back to the people and we're like can we get this thing and they're like oh um, this has never been asked for before, and we're like, okay, well, we just so need the it.
0: people being this, the people doing security, security, yeah, shadow, people, So okay. this is, sh- th- yeah, this okay.
1: is in our communication with shadow security. Okay, um, yeah, I can't remember if it was like the invoice or like what it specifically. They were That's
0: exactly for certain was. documentation as proof that the security check happened, or as because like the vibe that I got was they needed the security check to for the safety of the students. So this was contingent on the safety of the students, but it was if it was an invoice or some sort of like payment method. I guess that would make any sense.
1: Yeah. Um. So I guess for DALFEST itself, we like planned it and organized it in the same way we did like a week. Yeah. Like, it we, all happens in
0: one big. Yeah. It yeah. all
1: happens in like one big, um, planning and like VPSL does the logistics and stuff, and then the director of operations helps with like the background, um, fire marshal, all of those pieces, and so we coordinated everything as it has been done for many many years. The DSC has been doing the mm-hmm. same event for many years. We have that documentation. Um, and so we submitted all of that paperwork, um, and like usually that like signing off of the license happened in house mm-hmm. um, because we had the license designate in house. And when the license designate was no longer in house, um, the new license designate decided that they wanted to have all these other requirements um, that we f- fulfilled, um, or you know they were given to us. And like in the same way that society's things were shifting, ours was also shifting, where it was like you know, we'd give them this thing and they're like, oh, it's not this. It's actually, we need this. And so it was like pieces of paper at the end of the day. And that's a thing that I think I often talk about um, where pieces of paper aren't going to keep students safe. Mm -hmm. Um, Having a piece of paper with whether it's signed, but like whatever the piece of paper says, having that sit in a folder is not going to keep students safe. So we had security booked. We had the fire marshal situation all cleared up. Like all of those things to actually have Fest with the beer tent happen was done. We had, you know, the setting up of the stage, like everything was done as required for safety standards. And like the DSU actually, I think, prioritizes student safety around alcohol a lot more than the university does because their current policy is to kick out students from residence if they are drinking, um, which we saw at O Week was like a huge, um, you know, really put students in precarious situations. Um, and the university's response was to have Dell Security just follow them around as they went from residence to residence getting kicked out Um, were you there that day when we had when the students had that that like random party it was supposed to be like capture the flags in the dark and all the students just like jumped out during a week yeah
0: I got was it I, I there was worked.
1: like a there was like a low key like mob at one point where students were like spraying alcohol in the air and all just like someone had like a huge ass speaker on oh their God. shoulder. I was working. <laughs> I worked
0: during the nights, during a week, so I remember it's all like a vague cloud. To be honest with you, um, I was I slept maybe seven hours in four days. It was messed up. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, so like currently the university's policies around like alcohol and student safety are just not in any way, shape, or form where they should be. Mm -hmm. Um, Students should not be being kicked out when they're drunk and just made to, like, wander the streets because they were literally wandering the streets.
0: Okay, that's absurd. It's Um, their house that they're paying for. Yeah. So, wait, so, like, if they're having a party that they're not in that residence, they kick them out? Or even if they live in that residence, they kick them out?
1: I... I don't know exactly the things. This okay. is like Ruby would we, probably be able to tell like, you give you more around yeah, like residence on a really big tangent because um, yeah. I've been doing <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, basically alcohol um, in residence and like universities actionables on how they deal with like drunk students is like in no way a okay. harm reduction approach. A harm reduction approach is give students snacks, give students water. You like make sure they're like home and in bed and like you check yeah. in on them. Um, I know we had a few years ago in 2015, we had the death of the student here in residence um, because their students were too afraid to go tell their RAs that they had a drunk, um, you know, one of their classmates mm-hmm. were um, intoxicated, um, and then therefore decided to, like, leave it. And so and we know was, what happens when...
0: she uh, Was it alcohol poisoning, correct? It was alcohol yeah. poisoning, yeah.
1: And so we do know what happens when students are made to, um, you know, made to feel like alcohol is like a contraband Mm -hmm. that they have to like hide from. And so we strive at the DSU on a harm reduction approach, which is like give people snacks, give people water, like check in on them, cut them off if they're too drunk. And so our staff are like well-trained at the Greywood and Tea Room to do that work. Um, And our, you know, we've been working with shadow security for years. And so there's like a really good relationship with their um, supervisors and stuff around how we deal with our students when these situations happen. And so Dalfest would have went fine with the tents. Um, we were actually hoping to have, like, a whole area where students could um, have, you know, if they needed to, like, throw up, like, have mm-hmm. little spaces and, like, have those little, like, all mm-hmm. the different things, like, water and, like, like, snacks. privacy. Yeah, and just, like, a place where students can, like, be safe. Like a med and...
0: med tent, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. Um, and so we had all that planned and in the works and booked. Um, and because of pieces of paper that were not provided at a timely manner by the university, um, they cut... How,
0: how I understood it, and how I I see it myself. If the piece of paper are the proof that the secure the safety is being met, mm-hmm. sort of as um, you fulfilled like in case of someone who would cared less about the students than you do, mm-hmm. it's sort of that's that that failsafe of, are you doing your job? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is proof. I, I, like multiple people can prove that this is a safe environment. Mm-hmm. That's what the paper is. Mm-hmm. But if the the requirement was contingent on something that wasn't dependent on student safety mm-hmm. that I don't get because mm-hmm. the paper isn't equivalent to the student safety. It's the, the sort of the proof, proof of, yeah. 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 Right. So, um, um so. I understand where if the proof wasn't being met, so like security check and fire marshal, like those are rec- law requirements mm-hmm. for pulling off an event, yep. but they're met and yet they weren't.
1: Yeah. And so I think a perfect example of what paperwork they were looking for that we didn't have at the time um, was the S- Greywood and Tea Room staff smart serves. Um, so right. That's su- a,
0: admi- only the, it's not a law in Nova Scotia. That's the only thing the administration does to go over and beyond.
1: Yeah. And so all of our staff who work at the Greywood and Tea Room have those smart serves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the university wanted us to produce all of them. Um and so we you know reached out to all the staff being like hey do you, can we get the smart serves and STEM, you know like lost their smart serve certificate or like you know submitted it at the time when they got the job to like be able to get it but like now actually don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um
0: And it was a like a day before like... Yeah,
1: and so this is like the week of Okay, oh um, the week of. Okay. Yeah, the week of or like I can't remember the timelines exactly. Um but we were asked, you know, to produce their smart serves but it's like all of our staff are smart serve certified. Mm-hmm. Um And a lot, like, you know, we were able to collect everyone who had theirs on file or had a picture. We, like, took those and submitted them. But there was, like, a, you know, a group of people who, like, didn't. Um, And then Ivan's like, why don't you just call up SmartServe and tell them to give you the documentation? And we're like, oh, we tried. And they don't have that. And that's, like, not an actual... thing that's like stored in yeah, that way private
0: information they just send you the email if you I, I know when I didn't got my liquor license, uh, no, not liquor license I have a liquor license <laughs> on myself you can serve alcohol on me um, but uh, you know, when I got my bartender's license mm-hmm. I got an email of it so mm-hmm. I have a physical copy I keep my wall all the time um, but the, then I keep the I have an email of it I just can go to me I, go, mm-hmm. I can pull it out was it I mean did they not get Was it? why was it so hard to get like a uh,
1: Know, you know different people different circumstances Fair like don't want to like get into their stuff um but i actually um so that, yeah that was like in what september mm-hmm. um and then when the alcohol suspension happened in october
0: was I, it? I think so it was uh, th- I, this year's october, been blurry yeah
1: you. um i one of the contingencies to get um the alcohol n- suspension lifted was to get all their smart serves um, so then I was the one messaging every single Greywood and Room staff being like send me your smart serve and folks who like Couldn't get a physical copy wouldn't be able to work in the Greywood until they were able to get us their copy um, And so I had a whole spreadsheet where I was like this person has it will send it to me This person um, is looking for it will get back to me How many and then, staff
0: are there between Tea Room and Greywood and, uh, and uh, the, um, You won't have to. Wor- you don't worry about the wardy, do you? No, we're, okay. we have nothing to do with okay. the King's wardy
1: um 40 up to maybe 50 yeah, you need like a spreadsheet yeah, for that <laughs> people, yeah people people come and go there's a lot of
0: part-time staff that's for sure yeah.
1: yeah and like you know shout out to all the staff who like were on it and like were like trying to you know doing their best to like get the paperwork um in and i was able to like over the one-ish and a half week period um compile all that together. Meanwhile, Ivan didn't tell me he needed this until like after his one week vacation that he got to take. Oh, lucky, nice. so lucky. So he just got
0: that uh, shit on for a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was like a whole week of we had known nothing about the suspension, why we were suspended, anything other than like the letter they gave us. And they they gave us the same letter that they sent out to all the students being like the DSU's refusing to comply. And we're like, no, we're not. (laughs) We never said we were, if you think we've refused to, like here, we are 100% here saying we're complying. And they're just like, oh sorry, Ivan's away and he's the only one who wants to deal with this, um, him personally, because it is under his portfolio. So the only thing to respectfully do is wait for him to come back. Um, Meanwhile, students are DMing me and telling me like, I'm a stupid idiot um, and we're just getting like shit on in all these different ways.
0: Um, I remember I saw you, I was like, come <laughs> here, let me give you a hug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, it was, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. And I'm like, people I don't know, people I do know, people who like campaigned for me or like, you know, we talked and they were like, you're, you're going to do some great things. We're so excited to have you. Everyone just turned. And it was like an immediate, like, the university said, you guys aren't following policy, so fuck you. You suck. You're not following policy. And I'm like, ah, <laughs>
0: it's when that's the that's the the hard part for when you're doing big change is that stuff happens Mm -hmm. um i guess were you like because you must have been you must have known something was going to go wrong with the restructuring whether it was this or that did you come into the headspace that you're gonna have to put out a major fire because with big change comes like big instability right that's i mean did you expect it to happen
1: Alcohol suspension, no. Um, I've like I mentioned know. this to Ivan before, where I'm like, Ivan, this whole thing could have been avoided, like yeah. a quick phone call. And that's how like politics works at the end of the day. When you're at those like higher levels, with the a university, power, um, it was, yeah, it was a power yeah, thing. It was yeah. definitely a power thing. We made them look bad at the board of governors. We made Ivan look bad at the board of governors because the license is under his name. And so then retaliation there was suspension of everything. Um, and it was like, you know, part them covering their asses to make sure, you know, they didn't get in trouble or figure out what was going on. Um, but another part was you, you know, you did this. We do that. Mm. We have the power to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, okay. that was that was fun.
0: So there was like. It must have taken a lot of guts to pull off a restructuring after um, what. uh years of like it being in consideration like how many like I know like so many executives before you have been considering it like and like comes up like no it's too much work too much work um it's not it could you can't we can't pull it off and you did you were like I don't know how many executives came before you that wanted to do a restructuring this isn't a new thing Uh, I'll clarify that um but the only way it was pulled off is if the entire executive wanted to do it like was it hard to do the restructuring to get the sort of the approval for the restructuring? Because I know that's usually what holds people back. Like the executive, I
1: mean. Mm. Um, or
0: did you find like the whole executive was already on board for it like right off the bat?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm like very fortunate. Like I've, you know, heard of many years in the past where DSU exec didn't even like speak to each other. Like they'd be like on exec ridiculous. together and they did not speak to each other. Um, and that's just like, you know, personal issues folks had or like different like political beliefs or like ideologies or like visions for the student union yada 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 um but i think us as an exec like one of my i think one of my favorite things about this executive is that we like work as a team and like we come together and like you know we're in charge of such you know huge mandates nineteen thousand students like Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars like we have a huge responsibility on campus and for us to like come together in this way and be like okay we all have, like, a united vision for the university and mm-hmm. for the student union and for, like, Dalhousie. Um, we're all working towards building an equitable future. How do we make that happen? And how do we, like, put aside our own personal quibs and, squ- you know, squabbles and um, per- personality differences and, like, really come together and, like, fulfill that mandate of what we want to do for students? And I love my team. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Hassan and Issa and Ruby and Callista. Oh. we call ourselves dream team we truly are we truly are a dream team Um, that's crazy so
0: that i hope to everyone listening clarifies that whole fiasco Mm -hmm. i think it does pretty much on your end because we heard what the administration said uh we understand what could have should have been done we understand what did happen um so i think we i want to move past that because there's not much to talk about anymore um The one thing I did ask you about, because a lot of people assumed that the restructuring was a um, direct affiliation with the CFS. Do you want to put that to rest? (laughs) Because people are like, oh, the the restructuring Uh. for the CFS. Do you want to talk about that? Because I know it's not true.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, I guess... Oof. So, do people, like... I don't know. my My whole thing is like everything is just like misinformation, and people like not having like. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're
0: setting it straight. Hey. All right. That's, yeah, that's not exactly having, what we're like, here for. The full <laughs> understanding
1: of like what different things are. Um, so I guess did we restructure for the CFS? No.
0: There you go. You're here for us. <laughs> no,
1: nothing. Absolutely nothing um, to do with that in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, so I guess is there any yeah, follow-up the questions? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I don't even
0: know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, oh. and then, so what is the CFS?
1: Ooh, okay. So a
0: lot of people just assume. Yeah, it's a, I think okay. that's
1: yeah. Okay, so the CFS is the Canadian Federation of Students. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a national organization that unites students um, across Canada. Um, to advocate for student issues. And so right now there are two main organizations in Canada that do that so that they like have their membership are other student unions. Um, so there's the Canadian Federation of Students um, and there's the Canadian Alliance of Students Association. So yeah, that one's in CFS though, right? and CASA, yeah. I think are the two. Um, and so in Nova Scotia, um, Dalhousie is the only university that isn't part of any organization kings included? Hmm? kings included yeah so kings is a part of the cfs okay yeah oh it is They yes. already are yes okay kings is part of a cfs um NASCA is part of the cfs i think um mount allison is part of casa um smu is part of casa um so it's like
0: a war of uh, student <laughs> associations yeah there's a lot we don't know folks <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so
1: every student union other than the dsu is a part um, fun fact the DSU was a founding member of both Casa and the CFS really Yep. Wow. Founding members what
0: how does that work and we're not part of either
1: Yeah so we left both of them okay yes I feel um,
0: I, from what I understand the, the biggest struggle with the CFS is being able to leave them and, oh
1: we, and, we've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> We created it, and then we left. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Uh, do you know why, out of curiosity? It must have been, like, years before Yeah, this is, time. like, in
1: the 19 yeah. Something Because it's,
0: like, I think the CFS has been around for at least, like, 20, 30 years?
4: Yeah. 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 That's crazy.
1: Um, yeah. So, yeah. We, yeah. So, that happened. Um, we were part of CASA. I think we left in, like, 2007. Um, and so, I... You know, as being part of the DSU, I've like been aware of both the existence of CASA and the mm-hmm. CFS, and like understanding that relationship of student unions uniting across the country through these two different organizations.
0: We can go into what does the CFS do for Dalhousie students. So, what does it do in general?
1: So, this CFS, um, as is CASA, is like a member-driven um, organization that. Unites um, students across their membership and across the country um, to advocate for their issues, provide services. um, Yeah, advocate services. I think those are like the two main pieces. But what's interesting about these like external organizations is that they um, are invited to seats with the government. um, So both provincial and federal, Um, they have like a working relationship at that like national level. um, And also, provide various like services for their student unions. What
0: kind of services?
1: Um, so I don't know too much about CASA's current services, um, but the CFS, um, so wh- okay, one thing they like, so they have like low key services and like high, like, there's all
0: their main, I yeah. know their main priority is to make school like at CFS makes tuition free. That's their, that's their main goal. So, yeah, so it's an advocacy, yes. Yeah, 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 so yeah. that's their their final goal. So a lot of things that they do are sort of driven towards that. So that's like their big stuff, right? Yeah. And then what are the small services that students would see more on campus?
1: Yeah. Um, so, for example, they provide um, – do you know the agendas that the DSU mm-hmm. prints out? So the DSU is able to do a lot of its services in-house, um, but the agenda printing and, like, creation is something that CFS would provide for, like, all of its services across – um, the country, and so that's like an example okay. of a service. So that
0: odd, odd example, be honest with you. It's like the the one like the scheduler at the that would the agendas. With, yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. So
1: that's like a student service, and that's like a student service that we already provide for our students um, because okay. we have like the capacity to like develop and create it and stuff. But that's like one thing. But some
0: universities don't. A lot of a yeah. lot of student unions yeah.
1: don't. So like we're actually pretty like lucky um, in the fact that we're like big enough. Um, To provide a lot of like these services Mm -hmm. in-house. Other services would be um, advocacy support. So for like the DAL um, Not Bound campaign that we talked about a few Mm -hmm. times. Um, And also fun fact, our graduate students are CFS members. I don't know if folks know that. Our graduate students? Graduate students. Yeah. DAL your graduate students are.
0: Oh, just the graduating class. (laughs) <laughs> or what
1: <laughs> no um like the, the graduate, like the dalhousie so Dags, the dalhousie um graduate student association DAGs,
0: yeah but dalhousie. not so not undergrads is what i mean yeah, yeah. So not undergrads so right. our, that's interesting
1: mm-hmm. um and is so
0: they have their own union
1: so they or? have their own association okay yeah so i didn't know that actually yeah um and so they are a member and so as part of the tuition increases Um, they were able to get the CFS to support in that advocacy um, and that like running of a campaign to do the not dial bound. And Mm -hmm. so it was like graduate students working with the CFS um, and then like undergrad students working with like the DSU to do that like advocacy piece around that. Um, Damn, other services they provide. Um, Um, They have like various like conferences that they... um, Mm -hmm. Hold and run and that's like you know connecting students across the country to be able to like engage with each other Um, they have like an indigenous um, it's called the circle I believe so it's like an indigenous um, and Inuit students um, collective and like I think it's one of like the firsts to happen like across the country that like brings students together um, to talk about their um, issues and like really do some like advocacy work moving forward Um,
0: that's cool Okay. Yeah. It's so yeah. That, so it's just
1: like kind of yeah, kind of in the same way with the DSU is like, you know, what do we provide? We provide supports for students. What does that look like? Well, what supports students need? Mm-hmm. I think the CFS kind of did that, like, say so does that like so. So it
0: does that for the work? unions. So it's like does a union that. of the unions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Unions and and students. Um
0: yeah. so I guess a lot of the fear with the CFS that comes with the CFS comes from uh the sort of uh, relationship that they had with other universities. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, a gentleman by named Titus Gregory put out like a 340 page document about all the things that uh, the CFS has done in the past. And I'll be honest, it's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. It's pretty scary. Um, There's a lot of uh, people are articled. It's like, I mean, a dozen cases where the CFS sued people for like trying to leave the CFS. Mm. So the unions, not people. Um, so that, that doesn't make any sense to me. So they're offering a uh, student advocacy, but they're also, um, will sue you if you try and leave the student advocacy group. Is that something that you've noticed within the CFS or like, there's a reason behind that? Or is that just somebody, a, a student, uh, like, is that unexplainable?
1: Yeah, I guess I like, maybe not the most like well-versed in like the legal issues of the CFS over the past few years, um, and I can only really speak from, like, my experience and, like, what I've witnessed and, like, engaged with the CFS and seen, like, the work they've done. Um, I do know CBU was one school mm-hmm. um, that was brought up and, like, is in our That's, like, the one that
0: people bring up the most. Yeah. But it's, that. like, all from PEI to BC, Ontario, mm-hmm. um, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Definitely butchered that name. Um, but all of uh, – so many universities have – uh, I think Carlton is in a current, they tried to get out and then they were slapped with a five-year contract where they couldn't get out, try to get out, or make any referendums to get out. Um, I guess the fear, and, and I, I cannot bring any bias here because the CFS does do a lot of good. Like in uh, New Brunswick, I think, they completely reduced the fees. They put a cap on the fees. Anybody? Am I right about
1: that? Newfoundland. 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 Ah, Newfoundland. Newfoundland.
0: Newfoundland. And then they also so Newfoundland has the slow the lowest tuition in Canada. Yeah. Um. And they also, uh, in Quebec they they've reduced the fees there. So Quebec's the second lowest in Canada. Both uh, completely CFS um uh, unions in like almost entirely in the, in the in the province. So I can't deny that they're good. Um. What does scare me about this? I want to get your opinion on it. Is how they, because um, you are prospect, prospect members of joining, yeah. so you must have talked about this. Um, on the policies, when the, you join the CFS, mm-hmm. you sort of have to comply with the CFS's um, regulation, so the, way they, the way they process things. Um, for example, when you get into the CFS, it takes, I think, like 10% of the population for a vote in, but 15 to 20% to get out. And so there's these small things that make it extremely hard, that are built in the CFS um, uh, policies, that make it hard for the student unions and the student body to have full autonomy over the decisions. Did you notice that when you're going over this sort of prospect, um, uh, like the prospective membership?
1: Um, I guess, well, for DSU's prospective membership, it was like a vote at council that like situated us in this um, prospective membership. Um and I guess I, yeah, I don't necessarily see the, like, entering and leaving the CFS in terms of, like, their policies. Like, mm. they're an organization, so I guess they can decide yeah. how people leave and how people join. Like, that's, like, within their right. But, like, this conversation of, like, does it take away our autonomy? I, I don't see that, and I don't know where the fear of that is coming from. Um, Because we are, like, you know, fully autonomous as a student union to, like, do what we want. Um, I know one of our council members, like, checked in with the CFS to be like, you know, if you guys have, like, advocacy stances on these, do we also have to take on these stances? If you guys have, um, you know, if you're doing a campaign, do we also have to take on the campaign? And the answer to that is, like, no. Okay, We can, like, pick and choose what we want. Um, from the CFS and like make it fit to our structure And so kind of like when I was talking about the agendas earlier, we don't need the agendas So we're not going to use the agendas um, But maybe, you know, we need support and running campaigns because you know You talked about students not knowing too much about food insecurity mm-hmm. on campus And so like awareness campaigns are something that the DSU hasn't been doing in the past um, Has attempted a few times and just like not done too well um, and so, those are like supports that we can like bring in that will actually be beneficial to our population. Right. Um, and so, in terms of like the policy to enter, um, it's like a democratic process. You like vote um, yeah. in. And so, I've been, you know, when students ask me, like, what are your thoughts on the CFS? I'm like, well, I can tell you, me personally, Aisha, um, but as DSU president, I'm saying reach out to like actual sources aka reach out to the CFS um mm-hmm. Nova Scotia reach out to student unions who are part of the CFS in our province um, reach out to folks you know and like do the research to figure out if the CFS would benefit you and your constituents if it's a yes vote yes if it's a no vote no um, students have the right and like mm-hmm. 100% should end, be it making is a the decision process. Um, yeah and should be making the decision that fits right for students um and this is really about like bringing that like option to students from like my perspective where it's like we get to vote if we want to join it or not we're in it for like a free year um if folks have seen the benefits, I'm glad. If folks haven't seen the benefits, like, do, like, look into it maybe a little bit more. Um, but maybe you've seen, like, so many negatives and you're like, oh, my God, no, I don't want to be part of the CFS. Mm. And then, like, vote no and tell your friends to vote no. And, like, everyone should be making, right. like, informed decisions. I like, completely agree Like, that's what agree we're here that, 100%. for.
0: A hundred percent.
1: And I think in terms of, like, the policy of, like, coming in and leaving, um, I think those are, you know, conversations that, like, should and, like, can be had. And I'm like, that students are, like, engaging in that. Um, but I think if... Yeah, I don't know. Like, my whole sense is, like, democracy is, like, fundamentally broken. Like, when you look about... When you think about, like, how many okay. people vote in, like, and, like... how the, much
0: information goes around.
1: How much information yeah. goes around. How much, like, fake news goes around. When you think about even, like, the federal exactly, elections. Yeah. Like, how many people mm-hmm. voted in the federal I elections. Mean, like,
0: Michael... Like, in like, <laughs> um, the U.S., um, Bloomberg is literally running on a bank. Like, that's... <laughs> Anyway, yeah. I'm not going to go into that. Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah, like, it's like, you know, people, d- democracy has, like, many flaws. And so we also, unfortunately, inherit those flaws in our own democratic processes. Right. Um, and so I cannot save or solve <laughs> those. Fair but enough. We try our best to, like, inform students.
0: I guess, so back in, what was it? It was last semester. There was a, we were going to pull a, you tried to pull a referendum whether or not they want to... Uh, was it a, ref- was a referendum for prospective membership, or was it... I know it was a referendum, but you never met qu- a quorum. Oh, AGM. AGM. That yeah.
1: was AGM, yeah. Yeah, so um, it was referendum
0: for... What was it for?
1: Um, so an AGM is our, like, one year... Every year the DSU has an AGM where we prevent our... Present our financial statements for the past year, um, where execs do like a report on like what they've been doing to the membership. Um, And then also our bylaws are open for um, revision if folks wanted to. And so the bylaw revision process would be bylaw policy review committee, you bring it to council, it's posted like, I think it's like a month beforehand, yada, yada, yada. And then at the actual AGM, you'd like vote on those things. And so we didn't meet quorum for a DSU AGM. Um, which just meant we couldn't like vote on anything, but no bylaws were brought forward anyway, so there was nothing to vote on. Okay. Um. And yeah, I think that really speaks to, um, you know, the DCO hasn't met quorum for years now, um, and so it really does. Really? Yeah. Um. It's been a few years. I think the last quorum we met was 2016. That's crazy. Um. Yeah. And so that like just kind of speaks to the like lack of interest students are like having in like the DSU and the governing bodies and structures that make all these decisions. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this year is like one thing that we've done is gotten the students like, Ooh, (laughs) DSU, what do you do? And I'm like, hopefully, um, everyone comes forward with like, you know, good intentions and like are actually here for the students. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like excited to see like people who like care about students and are here to like engage with student life coming forward and getting involved because mm-hmm. we should be getting quorum like we yeah definitely should.
0: well the one thing that i found off about that whole situation um and one thing that i mean we can push as uh, the end of your term so i'm not going to ask you to do that right now but uh, there's definitely a lack of um information about those things um because as far as i knew there was uh, maybe an instagram story and a tweet mm-hmm. about the agm which is one of the most fundamental like sort of um Regulatory things for the students, for the DSU and the DSU to inform the students. Mm-hmm. I think the AGMs are very important, mm-hmm. um, but your the the DSU's role in that is I don't think it's been met really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely could use a lot more advertising. Uh, I only found out about it because I watched in the sub at the right time, and that was it. And I was like, oh oh oh, that's when they okay cool. And I sat down. And I was like, yeah. okay, no, I, I totally missed that.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Are like. Comms strategy and like I'm not a marketing student or a management mm-hmm. student in any way, shape, or form. So like I'm like, what is a comms strategy? We just tell <laughs> students and then they show up, right? Um, so that if definitely looking for it, they'll find it. But if they're not,
0: <laughs> screw them. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> we try. Um, so yeah, I think like student engagement is like a huge piece. It's like how do you engage students? How do you get the information out? How do you reach students where they're at? Um, and my experience as a student organizer through my four years years now. Uh, four years here at the DSU has always been like doing that on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. And that was possible when you know I was like the president of the Dalhousie Arts and Social Science Society. So I just had to talk to like art students. Or when I was running the Black Indigenous People of Color Caucus. And so my job was to, like outreach to like um, black indigenous students, black indigenous and students of color. Um, but when it's like 19,000 students mm-hmm. um, and I'm one person, I'm like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do I? <laughs> <laughs> How do I engage Is there in the DSU
0: that is for like advertising at the SU events.
1: So we have our c- um communications coordinator. Yeah. Um that position right now is currently vacant. Mm. Um but we have our new person coming in March 1st. Yay. Awesome. Um so yeah, so that, that office has kind of just been like un unstaffed for a while, which is okay. like why um comms haven't been the greatest, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm like really, really looking forward to and like really trying to figure out what are ways we can engage students so that I can like leave that information for the next year. Obviously, I'm not gonna start like a huge comms campaign or like whatever, Um, but really being like, okay, these you know these, yeah these work in these ways you know like instagram stories only get you this far the website get, you know we're in the process right now of like revamping our website and i think mm-hmm. that's like a, another place where a lot of our energy has been going to where it's like if we have like a good website we can like put the information there and the right. students can engage um so we're building that up right now but it's like how do you engage nineteen thousand students i think
0: the best way this is just from my own observation yeah um, please share love, it would be love feedback um <laughs> Sort of, you know how like in like the like governmental politics. Yes. If they want to say anything, they pull on a press conference, and the press conference gets some information out. Yes. The problem with that is the press conference. The the press has a sort of power to twist what you say. Yeah. Granted, but if you want to build an or, um, uh, informed audience, um, sort of the da Gazette, the Watch, the um, like all those like campus news sources they have a responsibility in form. I know they've been doing a very good job on it when it comes to what they're reporting on what's happening in council meetings, especially recently. Um, so if you, uh, what I would do, I mean, other than the podcast, because that's like a long form and no one wants to listen about what council meeting was, I had <laughs> the same length as council meeting, <laughs> um, to get like, all right, this is like a 15, 20 second video of, hey, this is what we did today. This is, this. This is what we did. Um, if you want more information, check the video of the full thing simple as that they put it out then they come they match that with the tweets that they had the live tweets that they would put out um and then everyone can share that it's easy to see so simple and it's literally like 15 second video it'll be so easy absolutely easily accessible
1: i love video content and like audio content and i like that's like a huge thing for me where i was like i want to do a podcast because i like phone. It's I love phone it it'll But be so easy okay. The, the issue has been in like over the summer and also over the fall semester when we're having all of the student backlash is just like the fear of students like attacking us on these social medias. Like mm. I've had people like search my personal social media and then DM me being like, you're actually like a horrible. I had I had a known rapist DM me and tell me I'm a horrible person. And I'm like, sorry, you're a rapist. You're a horrible person. <laughs> but I obviously didn't respond because I was like, I don't. Like, I don't even know what, like, a backlash of this looks like. But it's, like, the entitlement of people to, like, be behind their keyboards and be, like, haters online and, like, trolls online Mm. is so scary. And, like, you know, last year or years in the past, the DSU has had executives getting, like, rape threats and death threats and, you know, all of these things from students. Um, And I've gotten a few really, like, scary emails in the past um, and also DMs. And so it's, like, putting... Putting ourselves out there via video.
2: Sorry,
0: are we? Uh, is there somebody else booked for the studio? Are recording? Yeah, we're recording.
1: Okay, yeah. Um. So yeah, like. There's like, you know, the, the, for me, the personal fear of like putting my face and myself out mm-hmm. there and then having everyone be like, you suck. You're an ugly bitch. It's, um, it's one of those positions, of those the, the sacrifices. Is, yeah, right. is kind of like nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, but then in situations where we're not dealing with the shit, like this semester, for example, I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. I'm mm-hmm. here to like be all over these things. And if people comment, I'm like, whatever.
0: Right. Um, it's one of those things where um, it's when a lot of people know you, a lot of people have opinions. Mm-hmm. I think ever since the podcast came out I've already heard somebody like basically having beef with me about something that I didn't do and like he, I don't even know the guy and I literally saw we started the podcast like a week ago yeah. and already someone's like oh this guy he posts like too much stories on Instagram I'm like bruh it hasn't even been four <laughs> days yeah. so yeah. I can't even imagine but it's yeah. I, I sort of I, I know that with I don't know when you're in the, in the spotlight a lot a lot of people see you a lot of people build opinions it's it's hard to manage that. Um, but I, I think we have to start wrapping this up because it's <laughs> literally two hours in. Um, Time flies. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Aisha. Yeah, no. It was an absolute pleasure. I hope it feels good to you to clear up some stuff. Hopefully, if anyone has any issues with things that were misinformed, they can come to this podcast and get that cleared up. And I hope that people listening that now they understand the perspective of the DSU um, and Aisha, and uh, hope we straightened it it all out. My brain is completely fried right now. (laughs) Um, Thanks again. Is there anything that's happening um, in the near future that you want people to know about?
1: Ooh, um, we have Afrofest happening um, February 28th at the Greywood from seven to close. So come through for that. That's gonna be a great party. Keep an eye out for Last Class Bash. It's going to be a little special. <laughs> it's good, it's um, always going to be fun. Bash. So make sure to get out there. Um, yeah, and I think. I have um, office hours every Monday that are open to anyone to pop by. Mm-hmm. It's like part of the presidential committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone can pop by if you have any cool ideas you want to work on. I've had folks come in and they're like, oh, I want to do this thing. And I'm like, make a society. And they're like, oh, fuck yeah, I'll make a society. And it's like great to see students like bringing their passions in and like being able to like figure out where to put their ideas to like make it work and move it forward. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to drop by, it's uh, four to s- four to six um, or five to seven, depending on if I've sent it that week. Um, yeah, and also follow me on Snapchat because I do little cute <laughs> videos on Snapchat all the time. So That's a
4: good point. Yes. Can they find you again? Like what building or what area for the office hours? Oh,
1: for the office hours would be in the sub-second floor. Um, just check in with the member services desk mm-hmm. when you get there. Um, and then for Snapchat, at Dal Student Union. Awesome.
0: There you awesome. go. Yeah. Also, elections are coming up soon. Yes. Um, I think the nomination period ends uh, today. So yes. by after reading week, we should be hearing about the... the candidates are you excited to see who could be replacing you
1: yeah i'm really excited to see like what folks come forward with and like what they want to speak about and i you know encourage anyone to come forward and like chat with the current execs in those roles i think you learn so much from the people who've been there before you and you can really like filter your ideas Mm -hmm. through that Um, so yeah if anyone is running for president and wants to chat with me come through
2: (laughs) <laughs> you have to
0: fight it <laughs> yeah, to the death <laughs> if you can kill me you can get the presidency <laughs> oh no
1: i'm i'm gone i'm i'm so gone <laughs> all right
0: thank oh, you yeah. so much aisha um,
2: thank you for having me
0: i hope you have a good reading week
2: yeah, thank you to you and- too thank you very much for watching if you like what you saw please leave a like and uh, subscribe you can also follow us at uh, setting it straight podcast on facebook instagram i think that's it that's
0: it also, if you want to check out older episodes or stay locked in to find new episodes, look for us on uh, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Music. Or, of course, you can stay and look at the videos on YouTube. Thanks, guys.